What's up, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Terror Table, a horror movie podcast. My name is Mitch Oliver, and I'm one of your hosts here every single week. And with me, as always, I have my pal. I'm Boozy, and I'm sponsored by Conexus. And we were once <laughs> sponsored by Conexus, yes. 2022, the year that we lost our uh, our sponsorship with the, the Saskatchewan Podcast Network. I guess it just kind of went down. Yeah, there was it was never addressed. It just happened. Yeah, there was just at one point we were making money off this thing, but not today, folks. It is nope. 2023. This is our first episode of we're the year. Women again. Yeah, yes. well, yeah, it is our first episode of the year. <laughs> yep. ha- uh, happy 2023, everyone. I heard somebody say on the radio 2003, and I was like, what a slip up. But also, what a good year for new metal. Yeah, 2003 is a great year for new metal. And what I- I'm pretty sure that was <laughs> the Blue Crush year, wasn't it? Was that the... blue, I'm more of a Blue Crush 2 guy, so you'll have to fill me in on if Blue Crush 1 was. It was a, I'm pretty sure 2003 was the cruel summer. Um, but yeah, either way, we are a horror podcast and we are so, so excited to be welcoming uh, one of my new friends and a new friend of the show. Someone that I met at ScreamFest in LA when I was there with Jesse and I were uh, promoting and screening The Druid's Hand. We would love to welcome writer, director, filmmaker, and horror aficionado Jensen Rule Tierra to the show. How are you doing, Jensen? Hey, guys. Hey, Boozy. That sounded like a really sexy, you know, getting real close to the microphone. Uh, I yeah. liked it. You know, you know, there's there's a fine art to like seducing the mic every once in a while, you know? You're really good at it. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Very, very sexy. Very sexy. Oh, we forgot to add uh, amidst all the other titles there. Also, mustache aficionado. Yeah, Jensen's got killer mustache. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's a, it's a look, you know. Yeah. You know, great uh, yourself. Good job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I like, sle- I want to look as sleazy as possible in my old age, you know. It's giving sleazy, you know, 80s kind of like, you know. Uh, trashy, sleazy, gay 80s. Hey, that's big right now. Okay. Yeah. 2023, we're bringing sleazy back, baby. Yeah. Yeah. Never, it's never left. Never left. No. Yeah. And uh, we're really excited uh, because we, you know, we're going to do our normal thing where we're going to talk to Jensen about, you know, we're going to talk about your incredibly witty and clever short film, The Seance, that we were able to see at Scream Fest because that's where we were able to meet, got to see her film. And Jesse and I were huge fans. And Obviously, we just clicked right away. Well, I think we'll get into that a little bit as well. But uh, you, you and your partner, Sean, with Jesse and I just kind of clicked with instantly at uh, the first rooftop party night. That was such a highlight. Whole trip was insane. Um, but yeah, we we kind of, you know, just connected there and talked a lot about movies and Canadian serial killers and all that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, we're going to be closing today's episode off with a discussion on Silence of the Lambs, which was Jensen's suggestion. Uh, I think, yeah, we've done over 250 episodes now. And the fact that we haven't done a Hannibal. He's lucky because usually we don't let people pick heavy hitters very often. No, but this was one that when Jensen, you gave a couple suggestions and I was like, oh, man, you'd be perfect for this one. And not for the obvious reasons, but (laughs) that is something that we do. (laughs) I don't know what that means, but okay. (laughs) Well, people with mustaches love Silence of the Lambs. That's that's what we, we were talking about. Because uh, you said that there's a lot of uh, discourse and subtext that people talk about um, with this film that you feel like you're the you're a voice that can actually, you know, weigh in on the weigh in on this conversation. So I'm looking forward to talking about that. How were your guys' holidays? This is the first first episode of the season. You know, like whatever. Um, I'm pretty boring nowadays. So I, we didn't really, you know, went to a couple Christmas parties. 
I, uh, you know, didn't really do anything for New Year's, but, you know, I'm really getting really exciting on this podcast, huh? You know, like, <laughs> what, you know. Hey, what's Christmas in LA like? It's got to be somewhat exciting. It was, like- it was fucking 78 degrees. So I had a whole look, a Christmas look with the fuck, the sweater and the whole thing, but I couldn't do it because you're like sweating your balls off. It's insane. It's usually not that hot. It's usually like, for, and it's been freezing here for, for, for LA, you know, for Canadians, right. you guys are like, you know, I was talking to Jesse and he was like, oh, it's been like minus 17 or whatever. And, you know, here in LA, we wear like our, you know, our fur lines, uh, jackets and shit when it's like 45. So it's been 45 degrees. I'm freezing my balls off. I'm not, I'm not like, you know, used to it. Uh, but then the one day on Christmas, when you have the Christmas look planned, and you know you're gonna drink warm eggnog and shit. It was 78 degrees. I was literally everybody was like sweating. It was gross. You know you have like 20 people like in a room. You know drinking champagne. You know uh, eating uh, latkes and shit and just sweating. It was really disgusting. Right. You so know? like the, the so egg, that was, eggnog was warm. Not it was. Cur- it, was cur- it was curdled. <laughs> it was gross. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. That's why yeah, we were talking. You- we were talking off air about how we got to get you a feature film in Canada so you and Sean can come over here and you can wear your Christmas sweaters in Canada. Except for it oh might be God, gonna... Christmas raincoats. That, that's the only reason to move to Canada. Our, our Christmas sweater weather is perfect. That's not true. No, I, I got I got some parkas. I got trench coats ready to go that I never get to use. But recently I was just I was just in San Francisco. It's freezing there and raining. But the one good thing about that is I got to wear my cute like, you know, I had a pea coat. I had my shining sweater on. You know, which uh, my shining cardigan that I got from Middle of Beyond. And, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, that's a really cool sweater. So but but then during the once we were getting into L.A., I started sweating. So, you know, I had to I had to take it off. But if for like two days, I got to enjoy like my, you know, my my Canada looks. But probably for Canada, you would need like three parkas or whatever. So it sounds really uncomfortable. So, you know, I don't know. I don't know how I'll fare in Canada. I, I will say the the big drawback for us is definitely like having to go from having a shitload of layers to taking them all off as soon as you get inside it's very impractical you like you can't look cool and be outside you have to choose one or the other that's the saskatchewan thing too where you you start every morning with the heat just blasted you're scraping ice off your windshield and by the time you're driving home you're sweating you have all the windows open and you got air conditioner blasting one one time i was in uh missouri for in the winter time right and I'm not a cold weather person. I'm born in Hawaii. You know, my ancestors have been in hot weather. So I was in Missouri. It was 35 degrees. I thought I was going to die, like, like dead ass. <laughs> like I could feel it in my bones, like that's this cold. Then I was talking to your friend. Je- I was talking to Jesse and he was like, oh, you're such a pussy. He didn't say that. But, but he <laughs> was can, like, I was like, minus. Him. It was like minor. He didn't say that, but you know, it was the, that was the basic tone. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. it was like, oh, you're such a. But I could feel it in my bones. It's very uncomfortable. There was like ice everywhere. I'm like, I can't do it. But uh, you know, you wake up in the morning. There's like snow on the ground. There's like rabbit uh, trails, like in the snow. It was, it was beautiful. But I've been in snow a couple of times. It's really beautiful for about ten minutes. Yeah, that's exactly it. You know, but we were up in Zion in Utah, you know, the national park up there. And there's a weird thing where it's snowing, but you don't have to wear a jacket. It's very, it's strange. I don't know how I was in a t-shirt, but it was, it was like snow everywhere. It was crazy. I I don't know how there's parts of Alberta like that. Yeah. That sounds very twilight new moon. (laughs) 
That's exactly what I was thinking too. So Jensen, okay, okay, let's, okay. <laughs> since you know what we're like, we're doing this, we're doing this on the fly. So like, I'm learning who you are as uh, our audience is. So like, kind of the things that that Mitch ran me through, and one that that piqued my interest is you're interested in serial killers. Oh yeah. And, and I was gonna, I had one more other thing for to like go in that when you mentioned you had a trench coat, it was like, did you base that off of wanting to look like a serial killer? One of your, who's your favorite serial killer? Yeah. Oh, is my favorite of these fucking scumbags? Yeah, I have a favorite. Who's the most um, interesting? It'd be the more like. Who's the most interesting? I don't know. You know, the the more you know, we're, we'll get into it later with Silence of the Lambs. But I read all these John Douglas books. I read a lot of true crime stuff, mm-hmm. and you know, they're all at the end of the day, they're not people. You know, they're kind of just like they're they wear people suits. You know, they're, they're not, like wolves they're, in sheep's clothing. Literally, they're not interesting. So I read a John Douglas book he where he finally got to do an interview with the BTK killer. And, you know, this guy's a massive scumbag. You know what I mean? Like and talking to him, I was just getting nauseated, not because of what he did, but who he is as a person. You know, he's just like about power and he's just sort of this like nothing human being like they're all sort of like nothing people, if that makes any sense. Like Dahmer, you know, uh, you know, these the, uh, Bundy they're not very interesting. If The more that you learn, the more that you see that the only thing that's interesting about them is the deeds. Mm-hmm. You know, you know what I mean? So about BTK, I was like, God, this guy sucks. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you know, the more that you talk to him, I was just mm-hmm. like, this is just like a, a nobody who just has like a lot of rage. And then the way that he committed his crimes too, was such a clown show you know it seemed if you don't know you know the the mystery with him was that you didn't know who he was for like a long time and he got away with it for like Mm -hmm. a long time but when you when he goes into his crimes you find out that he's a fucking clown you know he fucked up a lot he had to kill that whole he had to kill the whole family because he didn't know that they're all going to be home so he (laughs) he he targeted the little girl and he thought it would only be the mom and little girl. And it was just like this comedy of errors where everyone just started coming back home. Mm-hmm. Have you and seen so the yeah, house that Jack built? No, I don't. I'm over Lars von Trier. You know, he's just so Gen <laughs> X and just so like, you know, so everything has shocked me, shocked me, shocked me. It's so boring. I liked his earlier films. Like I love Dogville. I think that's the best thing he's ever done. Like I love the kingdom, but I just, I don't want to watch what he's going to do with serial killers. And the thing is, you know, I'm working on a serial killer film right now. And, you know, kind of a serial killer kind of thing right now. And, you know, I've done research and try to do other serial killer movies, but you can't really do it because they're very boring. You know what I mean? So I don't really have a favorite. They're all fucking, you know, these people are like scum. Yeah, I was just joking about that. (laughs) I know. I kind of like the ones that never got caught. Like, you know, Zodiac is fascinating. But here's the hot take on the Zodiac. He didn't do half the shit. He just took credit for shit. You know, mm-hmm. he did like one or two things and then he terrorized like the whole city. So something like Zodiac is really fascinating to me, you know, but, you know, in, in that book, I'll be gone in the dark, which is about the Golden State Killer. You know, Michelle McNamara makes a really good point is once they're caught, you kind of see who they are. And the Golden State Killer, you know, D'Angelo, he turned out again to be the most fucking just a scummy like, loser you know, cops, a loser they fucking both loser cop. cops. Loser cop, a loser nobody. Uh, I swear the Zodiac is probably a fucking cop. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Probably a fuck. That's how they get away with shit is because they kill strangers and they're cops. Yeah. A cab. You (laughs) You said it. I didn't. 
Welcome. How do you how do you feel with with uh, working towards creating like a serial killer film? You have to really get in that headspace. Do you find that like it, it fucks you up sometimes? Because you really have to like think about it. You have to think yeah. like you're you're that you know that yeah. killer. Well, well you have, to have motive too. Like, yeah. Well, here's the thing. I like I've said I've tried to write stuff before, and you just can't. I just for me, I just could not get into it. Mm-hmm. So with this film that I'm working on, which is called The Basement. It's about the making of a serial killer movie. So it gets very meta, uh, Mm -hmm. which is a spoiler alert. So now nobody's going to come see the fucking movie. Everyone's going to come see it. It's more about like the, it starts off as like a a horror movie, you know, kind of basic boilerplate, but then it becomes like more meta and it just kind of has these kind of levels. And um, so I took the kind of focus off on the killer and more about you know, get, literally what we're talking about, getting into the headspace of the killer and the character mm-hmm. gets, it, that's the the movie is like, he's trying to get into the headspace of the killer and all that kind of stuff. But doing research for this, um, I did a lot of research into Jeffrey Dahmer and it's just very disturbing, you know, looking at the photos, I wish I never did it. Mm-hmm. And I, I have a lot of friends in LA that worked on the Dahmer show by fucking Ryan Murphy. And everybody is, has PTSD from working on that movie. Everybody I talked to, has has PTSD just from doing the research. And these are mm-hmm. people that are not into horror and not into yeah. like a true crime stuff. Like I am, I have a pretty like strong stomach for that stuff, but you know, as I get older and you become more of a fucking human being and it's not so sensational and there's victims and stuff, you kind of learn the true kind of cost of, of, of the, of the whole thing. So yeah, I don't have a favorite. <laughs> you know? I just know because, yeah, taking it back to how we, when we first met, it was pretty yeah. hilarious. Like Jesse and I, we've talked to, we filled the story before, but we were so we felt so incredibly far out of our element. We were, you know, 2000 miles from home and yeah. uh, in uh, L.A. for the first time. And we found ourselves at this like rooftop after party it was the, the opening red carpet night. And we're standing by this pool and we like don't even know where we are. We're like, this at is the weird. fucking sk- at, at the sky, sky bar. bar. In L.A., which you I, I can never get into that that fucking place. I, for years, I've never been able to get in. It's the hottest shit in town. Right. You know, Paris Hilton, Lindsay Lohan used to go back in the 2000s. I had a friend and she was like a really hot girl. You know, she had the big boobs and the hair and the whole thing. And she would just walk right in to the she never waited in that line. You know, yeah. and I was never cool enough to get in. You know, back in the day, I thought it was hot shit. I was like really cute and, and a hipster. They never let me into these fucking places. So I was like, oh, we're going to we're just going to walk right into Sky Bar. So Mitch, you're very like you and Jesse are very lucky that you got into the Sky Bar. But once you get in, it's not that great. Yeah, well, it was it's just the, a it's just a bar the with best, a pool. The Who best gives part, a shit? The very best part about it was Jesse and I were both standing there awkwardly by the pool, just drinking our, our like fucking what has to be $30 drinks. And um, but they were just it, it treating, was, it was they treat you free, like rock free stars. For, it was free for us. Yeah, it was we free for us. Tickets. And but we're standing by the pool and you, I think you could just sense that we were awkward. And like <laughs> you came up and introduced you and Sean introduced yourselves. And then we said we're from Canada. And like one of the first things you said was, oh, like uh, Carla Homoka and, and uh, yeah, uh, what's his fucking nuts? That other piece of shit. But um, Paul the Bernardo, pig, the, the pig and Paul Bernard on the pig farmer. Robert Picton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Robert Picton, and that's yeah, the pig, the pig man. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we basically just clicked right away. And then we just started talking about all that. And then, yeah, you you filled us in that you're like, oh, yeah, this place is like <laughs> this place is pretty yeah. out of control. And, yeah. and it was. But uh, that was great. Here's the, here's the interesting thing about the horror world that I found to be very fascinating is that there's not there's sometimes with me, me and Mitch, 
uh, you know, there's sometimes there is an overlap with true crime, but not really. But I'm like pretty promiscuous when it comes to like liking scary and gross stuff. So it's funny because a lot of true crime people that I know are not into horror. You know, they're they're just mostly into true crime. But it's funny because they're like, oh, I can't watch horror movies. They're so scary. Meanwhile, they're going to bed listening to about vagina purses and eyeballs and stuff. It's nuts. And then I'm into plastic surgery and stuff. And I had a friend who's this big horror guy. He's really into gross shit, cannibal holocaust, all that stuff. I we were I was watching a a, a plastic surgery video just randomly. It's just what I like to do. Just, and just for he, funsies. Just for fun. And he was like, I can't watch this. Turn it off. I'm right. like, you're the one who watched Cannibal Holocaust and you can't watch the plastic surgery video. So it's it's weird how some, you know, true. it's just not a lot of overlap, which is I yeah. find very interesting because it's all pretty, pretty gross. But, you know, I, you know, my true crime friends are like, oh, I can't watch Audition. I'm like, really? I mean, you know, they've turned off They've turned off audition, which is funny. Meanwhile, you can fall asleep listening. Oh, you know, we just, you know, she was buried underneath the, uh, you know, the, the parking lot. It's yeah. It's funny. And then the like one thing I know we talked about, and it's, I think we said we were going to talk about. It. You already mentioned it, um, but like you know, true crime is bigger than ever. And honestly, like I'm a true crime fan. Uh, I know Boozy is as well. I've gotten like officially tired of it because it's been so over sensationalized and everything. But I'm yeah. still going to like the day that the Dahmer show went up, I, I pressed play the minute it came out and I yeah. watched the whole fucking thing. I know the whole story. I know everything that happens. I'm like, why do I feel this obligation to sit through this again? And it's because yeah. that show, I, I'm actually not entirely sure how you feel about it, but I feel like, like, in my opinion, that's like the best thing Ryan Murphy's ever done. But it was still a miserable fucking experience watching it all and experiencing it all. Yeah, I didn't watch the show because, first of all, I think, uh, you know, Evan Peters is miscast and what I've seen of him, I'm not impressed. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, Ryan Murphy, you know, I don't, I don't know. I just I already know all that stuff. It's like, why watch it? You know, I'm not, yeah. I'm, not I'm not I wasn't really interested, you know, and I was writing my own Dahmer thing. And of course, Ryan Murphy comes along you know, and, and does his movies. So, you know, I had to switch gears a little bit, but, you know, I've already, I've already read all this stuff. It's like, why do another, but here's the interesting thing about true crime is that it's been in a lot of, I've been into true crime forever. So there's all this kind of like hand wringing and concern trolling nowadays about true crime, especially for millennials, uh, you know, about like, oh my God, you know, you're glamorizing it and all this and that. But from what I found, it's, it's having an evolution. You know, mm -hmm. whereas like when I was growing up, uh, you know, I was into horror and true crime and stuff. And at the back in the day, it was a lot more sensationalized. And now I think we're moving into a new uh, area of true crime where it's like you're really exposing these people for who they are. And also there's been a lot more about the victims, especially Michelle McNamara's book. You know, she really spends a lot of time with the victims and the, of course, and the cost, you know, of of the the, to the toll that it takes on these crimes because a murder one murder you know destroys an entire family in a community so multiple murders of course is gonna you know it's gonna be exponential but i think we're in an interesting point in true crime now where you know it's it's becoming more humanistic and you know it's it's less about the sensationalized it's more about understanding the victims and the killers and about where they came from and all that kind of stuff it's yeah. it's less about the the gore and the guts and for and sure all that and, kind of stuff. And I agree with that. And I think that that's one of the things that made me, um, you know, give the Dahmer show a pass, especially. But the thing is, it's a 10 episode season and the very best. It's episode, too long. Who has the is. time? I, yeah. I, I, 
<laughs> I, have, I have multiple jobs. I can't be watching this show. Yeah. But the very best episode was the one entirely set around one of the victims and it was the, the deaf victim and it was just done really well. And it, it's like, yeah. this is what the whole show should have been. And like the one yeah. pause, the one big positive I'll give the show too is I feel like the most grotesque violence that you see in the whole thing is inflicted on Dahmer himself at the very end of this, at yeah. the end of the series. Yeah, and then when they when they were developing the show, I noticed that they were going to go in more of that direction uh, with the victims and stuff like that. And the thing that I wrote, the Dahmer uh, movie that I wrote was about one of the victims that kind of got away. Mm-hmm. Of course, I couldn't do it, of course, because now you know here comes uh, Ryan Murphy against. <laughs> He, this guy, he, he he's doing too much. Like, is this leave, your arch nemesis, perhaps? Leave some content for anybody. I, I'm not going to go there. Yeah, I want to go there on this podcast. Not about him. Everything is becomes about him. But it's just me. And then he did the Watcher. That is such a great case. He fucked it up. Uh, you know, that's such a fascinating case. You know that yeah. that you know that that Watcher. The and he is too much. He's let's working put Sarah too much. Paulson in all of it. Let's he give needs her to stop. every role. He needs to stop doing cocaine. He needs to take a break and leave content for other people. But, you know, I did like the Monica Lewinsky thing he did. You know, that, I thought, oh, that was great. The that was fantastic. Yeah. And oh, pre- yeah, I always forget that he did People versus OJ because that like that. And great, great show. He, I take his, back Dahmer thing. Those are those are better. His casting is so off, though. You know, Cuba Gooding Jr. as, mm. uh, you know, as OJ miscast. And then Beanie Feldstein, I thought she was miscast. Also, he needs to get David Schwimmer was a nail on the head, though. He's great. Oh, yeah, he, he was, was fantastic. But his casting is just sort of all over the place. But anyway, let's move on from fucking Ryan Murphy. I'm like, I'm sick of this guy. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry to sorry to get your. <laughs> no, no, up. it's OK. Yeah, don't, okay, don't get me so, started. <laughs> so we're not going to talk about him anymore because we want to talk more about Jensen. So like what made you maybe not only just the like serial killer the interest there but like horror what what are your roots you know where what created you uh well you know years of abuse and uh neglect i'm just kidding um no it's uh well here's where the neglect comes in so i'm from the 80s right i'm older than you guys i'm older than everybody but i'm from the you 80s still look I'm like, like a spring chicken oh that, thank you i was waiting i was thank you mitch you too too i dropped it you picked it up um I no, I'm from the 80s. I'm like one of those kids in Stranger Things. I'm literally like the age of those kids. So today they'd be sad Gen Xers, you know, like probably on Twitter with their anti-vax hot takes or whatever. (laughs) But um, I'm not one of them. But, um, you know, I'm from the 80s. So growing up in the 80s, you know, as you might have heard with Gen Xers, uh, we got left at home a lot, you know. So and then there was cable. So you can watch whatever the fuck you want. And mom's not home. So cable was the babysitter. Cable was a babysitter. And guess what? On cable, they had fucking Phantasm. They got Mausoleum. You know, they have Creep Show. So I was just mainlining, you know, all that shit when I was like a kid. So that's how I got into it. It's just like, you know, Friday the 13th. I had a big Friday the 13th phase. You know, so when I was a kid, I like more of like that dumb fucking cool dumb shit. You know, Creep Show. Remember that that episode in Creep Show with that black you know, that black tar, you know, oh, yeah. oh, eating yeah, yeah. all those, ah, oh, oh, great. Yeah. And then remember Tales from the Dark Side, that Demi, that Demi Moore episode where she goes to the psychic and the psychic's like, oh, you're going to be rich. And then she marries that fat guy and then he dies and then, or no, he murders her. And that's, you know, that's how she, you know, she, that's how he gets them. You know, it was like this kind of like, you know, oh, Henry kind of like ending or whatever. Mm-hmm. 
So when I was a kid, I was just like with no nobody. Plus, you know, in Hawaii or in the 80s, maybe it wasn't like millennials today or Gen Z. Like they let you watch whatever the fuck you wanted. They're like, oh, we're going to watch, you know, the Dream Warriors today. I watched the Dream Warriors like fucking, I don't know, 150 times. I don't know. Yeah. You know, you know, with the remember the uh, coming out of the TV and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. So, you know, that was me growing up in the 80s, just mainlining all that kind of stuff. So that's how I got my start, you, uh, you know, with horror. Do you remember like what got the ball rolling? Because, you know, you got, you got to get the needle in before you start mainlining. Do you, do you know if there was one core one as a kid that got you going? I don't, bro. I don't remember. Like, you that's, know, it's that's just like, I... it's just like lost to time. And then. You know, there's all kinds of theories about people that like horror and stuff like that. You know, I don't know. But, you know, if you're a gay person and, you know, I'm a person of color, obviously, I mean, this is a, you know, audio thing, but you can't see I'm not white. Well, I'm part white, but whatever. Uh, you know, there, there's theories about like, you know, minorities, the sexual minorities who like are into horror. We'll get more of it into the Silence of the Lambs. I have my notes here. Okay. But, um, you know, they say that also outcasts or outsiders you know they they really like horror because it has this fantastical element and then also um you can sort of like uh like kind of get lost in the fantasy it's a great escape yeah it's a great escape and then also you know i think if you grow up watching this kind of stuff like you're less inclined to be a violent person ironically you know everybody that i know who's a horror filmmaker into horror they're the most kind of gentle people, the nicer, not that I'm I'm not gentle or nice, but you know, other people, uh, you know, or, you know, I think that those people, they know that it's fiction. Do you know what I mean? And then they can indulge in this sort of like fantasy and not know, and know that violence is bad and, you know, but that's also something that's come to the forefront over the, I'd say the last couple of decades, like, cause you know, even stating back to when I was young and the whole like Columbine massacre happened and you know, that whole, the whole discourse was blaming violent movies and violent video games and all that stuff. And I feel like since that kind of stuff has happened, that whole, that whole debate has just folded in on itself because that was, and that's all kind of nonsense. It's the eighties, nineties. It's all this kind of Republican conservative nonsense. Yeah, Looking for someone to blame. Yeah. Something to blame. Yeah, exactly. Because you know how the thing is with this kind of conservative thinking is that it's very simplistic. You know, it's about violent video games and violent, you know, Marilyn Manson, all that kind of stuff. But then if you look at those kids' lives and Columbine in particular, is that, you know, they were surrounded by this kind of culture of violence. You know, they had they yeah. were living in this military town. And that fucking guy, Klebold, you know, these guys, they were like violent psychopaths, which gets yeah. lost in the whole they didn't they didn't get picked on or anything. No, just they were losers. actually they were the bullies, yeah. you know what I mean? And, uh, you know, so blaming, it's just like an easy way, you know, because it's so popular with a lot of people that, you know, you'd think that there'd be millions of people getting murdered and being slaughtered, but that's just not the mm-hmm. case or whatever. Yeah. You know, no, it's just, absolutely. It's just, it's and, nonsense. Yeah. And that's something that we talked about uh, at Screamfest, like just in the lobby talking about, like, this was before we had seen each other's films or anything like that. Uh, but we were talking about like the kinds of horror that we're attracted to now. And you were you were telling us about the seance and you're saying that you like fun horror. You like stuff that you can go in and like kind of high concept and it'll be goofy. And like that explains all of the love for the 80s horror. Like it was just all high concept and, yeah. and bonkers over the top stuff. Like what kind of stuff are you seeing these days that's really exciting you? Well, I'm pretty promiscuous, just full stop. But now I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm, now I'm full. <laughs> 
I'm pretty promiscuous when it comes to my horror, like uh, my watching, you know, I don't only really watch horror, I watch all kinds of stuff. Um, but, you know, I really like uh, nowadays, I really like that movie Barbarian. I know you guys have talked about it before. Oh, Barbarian yeah. is fantastic. Yeah. But I kind of like the more pretentious stuff. Also, you know, I like like Hereditary and and uh, Mits, Mitsumar and that yes. kind of stuff, you know, and fucking Mandy. Oh, my God. Mandy is such a banger, yeah. you know, so I kind of like the, you know, nowadays I'm also liking kind of the, the, the artsy, you know, the, you know, European stuff, stuff from Korea and that kind of stuff. But, I, you know, I like more of the fun stuff. But I think horror is having like a real glow up nowadays. And I know you guys have talked about Nope. Nope is a fucking masterpiece. All of the a lot of people I know are just fucking sleeping on Nope because, you know, they have no taste. But I think I think with Nope, I think Jordan Peele has really risen to another level. Like, I think he's a great I think he's a great artist. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, you know, his last I think he's been like moving into another space. And it's nice to see in someone's career when you just watch them sort of just bang. You know what I'm trying to say? Like, you know, I've seen like, you know, other people's careers, like, you know, Pedro Almodovar, you know, when he made All About My Mother, he just, it just like, you just pro- propel yourself into like another career, you know? Uh, and, you know, with, uh, I, you know, with Paul Thomas Anderson, who I wasn't a big fan of, but I thought with, you know, stuff like the Phantom Thread, he's just like in another part of his career. And mm. I feel like when I was watching Nope, I was like, oh my God, this, he's, he's like moving into the pantheon, I think of the greatest American directors. You know, I thought Nope was just really fantastic. And a lot of people were, I think really, and a lot of idiotic critics were sort of dismayed about, about uh, what kind of movie it was. You know, I think he was all over the place with the themes and stuff like that. But I thought it melt for me, it melted together, you know, pretty yeah. brilliantly. And I thought the artistry was just really fantastic. You know, the cinematography and the sound and Good the God, script, yeah. you yeah. know, and uh, but uh, yeah, you know, I'm I'm basically watching that kind of post horror, as they say, you know, yeah. elevated horror, which I think is a stupid. It's one of the know, dumbest I, things in the yeah. history of, <laughs> of the horror but, conversation. But I know but, what you mean. But like true crime, yeah. you know, horror is kind of moving into this other level. So that's uh, that's me. So, yeah. So we met uh, during uh, Scream Fest and I was there with the seance and you were there with the fantastic uh, Druid's hand. I got to say it was a real it was a real banger. But uh, no, I, I we met because I we needed our pictures taken. You guys were just sort of standing there and I was like by the pool and I was like, oh, these guys look nice. So maybe you they know, look like they this. would take a good picture. Yeah. And then and then I started in on talking about Canada, which I didn't let up for Mm -hmm. the entire festival because you rarely meet Canadians. So I was like, oh, let's let's talk about, you know, uh, Poutine and yeah, David, David Cronenberg. Also, David Cronenberg's last movie. You know what? I didn't love it as much. The Crimes of the Future. You know, I write a lot of stuff that's very talky, but I felt that he could have done more with giving us a break and having a lot more like visual breaks or whatever. But you know, it's it's pretty. I thought the kind of ideas and stuff that he was working with with that movie was pretty was pretty daring, even though it wasn't my favorite of his. Yeah, know? no, totally yeah. agree. That was my most anticipated movie of the year by far, and it was it was quite a bit of a letdown for me. I think I need to watch it again. Probably have um, to watch it again because there's just so many ideas like coming at you. I, I love I love his movies so much. So like when something isn't just like when I'm not just when my hair is not completely blown back, I'm like, what? That something must be wrong with me. Um, but you know, we also talked about this off air, but I'm like just as excited, if not more about Brandon Cronenberg's future and like, you know, seeing infinity pool and possessor, like there's just so many that there's just amazing stuff coming out of Canada right now. 
I think with uh, Brandon, I think like um, like I was saying about Jordan Peele, I think maybe hopefully he's moving into a new level of his career where he's not like copying daddy. Because I saw antiviral. I'm like, oh, you're just daddy. I saw yeah, that anti- antiviral didn't do much for me. Yeah. yeah, I saw that at the AFI festival. And me and my friend were like, oh, my God, this is such such a fucking Nepo baby. Uh, yeah. You know, like like Jennifer Possessor. Lynch. Possessor. I, so I haven't seen fuck- that one. Oh, it's so good. I haven't seen that one yet, but also with like Jennifer Lynch. Yeah. You know, it's interesting that she was copying daddy Nepo baby, but then she, you know, with surveillance, I thought she was moving into a new level of her career. And, um, you know, I think a lot of her, her, her movies, you know, after surveillance, I thought have gotten better and better once she got away from, you know, daddy, of course, you know, David Lynch and David Cronenberg are all of our daddy, but, uh, you know, it's kind of embarrassing when you have the same last name and you're doing the same shit that daddy did, you know what I mean? But, you know, but, you know, I think uh, hopefully Brandon, uh, the Infinity Pool looks really good. I think he's moving also into a new level of his career. Hopefully. I don't I haven't seen he's, it. But. He's spreading his wings. He's flying. He's, mm-hmm. he's out of the nest. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I actually had a, a question for you in terms of because uh, our listeners and myself included haven't seen your short film is can you explain like what? what makes you as a horror fan, you know, like what are, what are your big influences, uh, you know, director wise, film wise, uh, that kind of created your taste? Okay. Yeah. Um, so the seance I did, um, it's a short film about, uh, uh, a guy, he just lost his husband and he goes to a psychic to try to contact the dead husband. And of course they just start fighting immediately, which is what, what happened in real life, you know, <laughs> because you know, all these ghost movies and shit, So we all, you know, mostly, you know, Sean, my partner is like my muse a little bit because we're always talking a lot about all kinds of different stuff. And we're talking about ghosts. And the thing about ghosts, it's always the white lady in the chains or, you know, the white lady or the little kid, the scary kid in the costume or whatever. You know, if you're going to be a ghost in real life, let's say if it was real, you know, you'd probably just be like how you are as a person, you know, asshole. So, you know, that's uh, and I I wrote the, the movie. Uh, there was a contest, a uh, contest with this uh, film collective that I'm a part of, and basically they give you funding, um, you know, for your uh, movie. They give you a startup fund, um, you know, if you win this contest, and all the community votes on it. And so mine was one of the the winners that they picked. Um, and so I just was like, you know, the way that it came about was like, oh, what can I write that's going to be really cheap to make in this budget? And with only like a few actors and stuff like that, but then still horror ish, you know? Um, So I came up with the seance, you know, I don't, I don't remember how I did, but it was basically moving from the constraints. You know what I mean? Like you have this limited budget, limited uh, locations, limited uh, actors and things like that. So that's how it kind of grew from there. And, um, you know, it turned out pretty well. We won a couple of awards already. It was at Scream Fest, you know, no big deal. You know, I'm up there playing with Druid's hand. So I think (laughs) I'm doing pretty good. Um, uh, Yeah, but my big influence is, again, I'm pretty promiscuous, you know, um, as a a filmmaker with with my influences and stuff. You know, when I was a kid, of course, you're watching all this horror stuff um, and dumb comedies, you know, and then when I started studying film, I studied like Jean-Luc Godard and Akira Kurosawa. So I got, and you know, Ziga Vertov, you know, like uh, Eisenstein, you know, and I got very, very pretentious, like really quickly, you know, um, uh, Louis Bunuel, stuff like that. So those are kind of my big influences, you know, Cronenberg, but 
you know, which is nothing like what the seance is like either. I got to just quickly jump in and say like, that's what's funny is like you say that you got a little pretentious with all that stuff, but you don't see any of that in the seance other than that it's some made by someone who understands genre and and like the kind of speed and the veracity that you need in a dialogue to pull something like that off. But you did. Yeah. Well, to be honest, that you know, you shouldn't really be honest on podcasts, but like, you know, to be honest, I kind of have to like move away from more because my earlier work has been very experimental. It's been very pretentious. It's been very like, uh, you know, kind of like more punkish, you know, mm -hmm. with the kind of content and also the way it's filmed and stuff. So when I was also creating the seance, I was uh, I told myself plus advice that I had gotten from other people was just kind of like move into like a different direction, more mainstream, you know, and kind of like growing out of the more kind of experimental and more kind of like, uh, you know, just get do a higher level of like of, of filmmaking, you know what I mean? And yeah. writing and stuff more, not, you know, not Hollywood and mass audience, but just a little bit more out of the realm of experimental. But, you know, I feel like the seance does have a kind of a little bit of a meta element, yeah. but it's just like less, um, you know, experimental filmic wise, you know, my other shit, you know, it's just really insane, insane with like kind of the, uh, you know, kind of the experimentation and the kind of rough uh, look of it, where I just kind of want to move into more of a, uh, a more of a professional, not, I don't want to say slick, but, you know, into that kind of uh, realm. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. you know, moving forward, I think that's the kind of like direction that I'll head into. And then maybe when I'm older, then, you know, pull a Godard and make some really fucked up you know, crazy experimental yeah. shit once I'm like, you know, 80 or whatever. Um, but yeah, that's basically like my influences. Like I love Pedro Almodovar. Um, you know, recently I've, I saw The Triangle of Sadness. It's not horror. A great film. I don't know if you guys have seen it. It's, it's really top of my list. I have it. I had it lined up like I was going to watch it because I had COVID all week. So yeah. I was going to watch it. But I, like that's one that I want to make sure I can give my full attention to. Um, yeah, because, you got to yeah. see it in the theater with people. Yeah. You know, it really is a really great audience movie. And then I saw, you know, Decision to Leave by Chark, Park Chan-wook. You know, he's yeah. a, he did a whole lot of horror and that kind of stuff. And now he's moving again. You know, his career is like shifting into like a higher, you know, he's a higher domain or whatever. And Decision to Leave is just really fantastic. And then, um, you know, so uh, Banshees of Ina Sheeran, again, you know, is a really great film. So, you know, I'm kind of just like all over the place. You know, I like a lot of crap too, you know, so... You know, I, you know, mostly I watch, you know, 90 Day Fiance and the biggest horror film I'm, I'm enjoying right now is the kind of the American political political scene is probably the most terrifying, you know, horror film that's like out there, you know. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> Okay. Which 90 day is your favorite? Because there's like 80 spinoffs. It's like the Marvel Universe. You know, yeah. you, uh, it's, you have to keep up with this shit. Um, so I don't really have a favorite. But right now, you know, I'm really enjoying the single life and, you know, uh, happily, happily ever after. Right. But I, I'm waiting. I, I'm waiting for Canada to have, you know, there's been no Canadian 90 day fiance, but probably be pretty boring since you guys have that reputation for being nice. Plus, I don't know what Canada's immigration policies are, if you can just bring people in or whatever. I don't know. It's definitely a little I've bit. I've never immigrated to Canada, so I'm not sure. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, yeah, no, we definitely. So we've gotten a good idea of who Jensen is as a as a filmmaker and as a, a horror fan and everything like that. So I think we should just kind of let's cap off a little bit. Let's talk about what we've been up to recently. Maybe I'll toss it over to Boozy. And uh, yeah, we'll just talk a little bit then get on to Silence of the Lambs. Sure. So I'm going to go. The first one here is from 2021. I watched The Resort. Uh, so this is four friends head to Hawaii uh, 
funny enough, the Jensen's hometown, <laughs> to investigate reports of a haunting in an abandoned resort in hopes of finding the infamous half-faced girl. When they arrive, they soon learn that you should be careful what you wish for. So this was written, directed by Taylor Cheen, I believe. Um, it reminds me heavily of early 2000s, like glossy horror. You love that shit. I, I do love that shit. Like and Valentine. I, I oh man, I love Valentine. Don't even get me started. Anyway, um, I, I thought the the concept for this was really cool. Uh the actual set itself, like is is phenomenal. I don't know what actual resort they they shot this at that actually is abandoned, but it I think that's why I stayed for it is the location because overall I didn't have a great time with this. The uh the half-faced woman wasn't very intriguing and it was it was just really silly overall so wasn't wasn't a huge fan of this one but yeah i i just i stayed for the location it was a cool location but um all right so pretty lukewarm review from boozy there on the resort jensen do you yeah. have anything else you want to talk about that you've seen recently yeah i just watched um the new hellraiser movie we were on vacation and that's the best way to watch it, I guess, um, you know, on a plane on vacation. Uh, so I've been holding off on watching the new Hellraiser, you know, for a minute. Um, what, what's your reasoning for holding off? I don't know. Well, I wanted to watch it with some friends and stuff. Right. Um, but are are you know. a big fan of the original series at all? I was, uh, you know, when I watched it in the 80s, you know, mm -hmm. I thought it was great. But then I watched it just a couple of years ago. And don't come. Everybody's going to come for me. I don't think yeah. it's that. I don't think it's that good. Just between us, I know, and you know, no one else is right. listening. Do not at me. Yeah. But I, I, the first one is not that good. It's not that. It's not. It doesn't hold up very well. You know, the second one is a banger. You know, Hellbound. But uh, the first one, I was just like, oh, this isn't very, isn't very good. But I, you know, I was the new one. I was just like, oh no, I don't. You know, I, I just wasn't that interested. So you know, I was on vacation, so I watched it, and you know what? I thought it was. It was okay. It was pretty good. It was, it was good. It was okay. I don't know if you have guys have seen it yet. Yeah, yeah. we really, we really, I'm a big fan. Here. Yeah. I, 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 you know, I, I liked it. You know, yeah. I, I, is that bad? Is that shameful? I didn't like no. the, the original, but you know, <laughs> no, it didn't hold not. up as well. But I think Boozy feels the, the same way. Like you prefer the, the remake. Yeah. Over the I, I think it, I think it's a lot more streamlined for how I like a story to be told. And it's also, it's weirdly less horny. I know, Mitch, you, you thought that the new one was, was really horny. I didn't I think know, it pretty, was as horny as the original. Pretty the, horny. It's pretty horny. Yeah, <laughs> they're, they're both pretty horny, but the original is so horny. Um, yeah, I don't like know. I, those those I'm boys. A big fan. Those, those boys in it were very, very attractive. In the, yeah, the, the, new the, one. the new one was very sexed up. Like, yeah, very, very, like, it was like CW, but then it's like, let's fucking kill all of them in the most brutal ways. And it was great the way they kind of like, went with the mythology yeah. i thought it was very very smart and then the thing with the box you know and all that kind of stuff and some of the visuals like you oh, know that scene directed the, so well in the mm -hmm. van with the the you know her being trapped with the tunnel and yeah. all that kind of stuff i thought it was very beautifully done and then the, the the way that the box would sort of like you know move and reconfigure and the way that they did the hell priest was really interesting who we call pinhead but you know people who are in the know the deep cut it's the hell priest yeah exactly. and the way they did her because in the book i guess i you know i haven't read the books in a while but i in the books i guess it's, she's sort of like a you know the hell priest is sort of like a feminine kind yeah. of Thing. So I at first I was like, oh, they're making it into a woman. That's kind of interesting. But then I remembered that 
you know, in the original books, it was sort of like a, an androgynous sort of figure. And so I liked that the way, and then the whole, the way that it wrapped around with the, the, the lament configuration was just, and then it's just, it comes, it goes back into that configuration for someone else to find. I thought that was a great kind of like circling back, you know what I mean? And the visuals and the design were really great. I liked how the Cenobites were like not in black, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. They were like in that pink and that red, ah, fantastic. Yeah. Chef's kiss. Chef's kiss. Yeah, I liked how how active they all were too. Like it was fucking to me hilarious that watching the chatterer running like he's Freddy Krueger running down the street. Uh, yeah, I thought it was awesome. That's one that yeah, I, I think over. The, I expected that that was going to be like one that was just a huge hit among horror fans across across the board. But I now the top ten lists are coming out. Like I don't see it on many people's lists. But spoiler, it's one hundred percent on mine. I, I yeah, love me it. as well. Double terrible spoiler for us here. Yep. Oh, sorry. Oh, yeah. I forgot on podcast. You're supposed to say spoiler alert, but no, uh, I think people, I think people are listening to this podcast. <laughs> they probably have already seen it the day that it came out. It dropped on Hulu or whatever. Yeah. No, for sure. We're we're all getting that. Um, but yeah, we don't that's, have Hulu. Yeah, we got Disney Plus and Crave. Okay. Okay, Canada. Yeah. Uh, whatever thing you guys watch. Yeah, I have a friend lives in australia doesn't have hulu either we're being robbed so, okay hulu. okay on order off of hulu <laughs> so that's really fuckers. been that that's been that's the whole reason i got hulu was to watch law and order and right. they took it off law and order because nbc has its uh you know it's its own like streaming channel now so they took off all the law and order and put it on nbc and i don't want to pay for another one anyway this yeah. that's just that's my own personal problem <laughs> i guess like i have two that i was going to mentioned today uh they're both new releases both films that came out in 2022 and they're ones that i'm seeing on a bunch of top 10 so i know boozy and i were preparing to record our top 10 favorites of the year next weekend so we're trying to catch up on the ones that we haven't seen yet and these are two movies two i guess mainstream movies because they got wide releases that i did i saw the trailers and i'm like how how is this horror i don't understand um but i'm gonna lead off with the menu so the menu is now on Disney Plus in Canada. That's where I was able to see it. Uh, but it's directed by Mike Mylod. And yeah, it's it's written by uh, Seth Reese and Will Tracy, who are both writers on Succession. So and that, I'm a fan of that show. Uh, so I was, I was looking forward to seeing this. You know, big fan of Ray Fiennes, Anya Taylor-Joy, Nicholas Holt. Uh, there's a whole bunch of great character actors in this one. John Leguizamo, Reed Burney, who plays, uh, what's his name? He's Gil, I think, in Breaking Bad. Either way, uh, have either of you seen the menu yet? No, Not I'm yet. just looking this up right now here. Yeah, so like, I don't know. You look at the the poster and you, you, you there was also, there was a, a short film that played at, um, at Scream Fest. I'm drawing a blank on the name of it, but it was set in a restaurant. It was just fucking amazing. Oh, that movie was called Hungry Ghost, by the way. We should uh, shout out. We should shout right. out that movie. Yes. It's called Hungry Ghost. She's Hungry a Ghost. she's she's really talented. Oh God, yeah, she's shout so out good. to Hungry Ghost. Yeah, yeah, that Sorry. one that one that one was amazing. Thanks for that. And yeah, the the menu was awesome. I was very surprised by how much I enjoyed this one. Uh, with COVID and everything, like I was mentioning, like I've been having trouble focusing on things, so that's why I haven't watched Triangle of Sadness. Um, but I did just put on the menu thinking I might fall asleep or whatever, but it hooked me right away, and I was able to stay stay focused on it the whole time and i just thought it was great um it's one of those things i'm not normally into the whole class system being explored through horror because sometimes it can be really muddy and just like obvious and on the nose and you know the menu has moments of that but i think it's 
that it's so clever that it gets a it gets across all of those kinds of um hurdles by with its clever and sharp writing and uh really amazing performances Anya Taylor-Joy is always great Ray Fiennes is you know peak Ray Fiennes in this movie like he's the I feel like he's that's one of the best things I can say about this movie is that nobody could have played that role that Ray Fiennes plays in that um so it was it was great I highly recommend it that's the menu Boozy do you got anything else I do I have uh I have two that I want to mention really quick because they're overall, they're not amazing films, but I, I thought they were interesting enough. Uh, so the first one is moon trap from 1989. Um, and this has your boy in it. Uh, Bruce Campbell, Bruce Campbell and moon trap. I have not heard of moon trap. Yeah. So moon trap is uh, a ripoff of alien. Very clearly um, the thing and adds a little bit of a uh, robotics uh, scariness to it. Uh, it has some interesting kind of practical effects and, and scenes put together. Um, but overall, it's it's not a classic. There, there's a reason you don't hear people talk about this film. Um, but it it's kind of cool. It's a it's a neat little piece of history. I think overall the the story is is, is kind of neat. And also, there apparently was a sequel in 2011. I, I just noticed when we started talking about this. So I, I think I'm going to watch it. <laughs> I thought you just said that this one didn't do much for you, but you want to see the sequel? Of course I do. I, I the <laughs> idea of is it moon like trap animatronics and yeah, it is. Oh, it's, it's 2017. I bet wow. Bruce Campbell had nothing to do with this. Yeah, I don't see Brucey on this one. <laughs> And the other one I wanted to mention quickly is I sent Mitch a, a little video of this, but I'll try and explain it for our viewers. Uh, so this is 2000's The Convent. Um, oh, boy. <laughs> so I'll just I'll just read you the uh, synopsis. A group of college students break into an abandoned convent and become possessed by demonic spirits. Because, uh, of, because of course because of yeah. course this this movie is straight to the point um it's silly it it really encompasses everything that 2000s is down to like it seeming like uh, a goosebumps episode and the you know it's got those those classic they just hit the the y2k so like special effects were in uh, a very mixed bag um, this has a very cool intro, which is what I, I wanted to talk about. I'd sent this to Mitch. It's a very like Tarantino-esque intro, but basically this goth woman uh, walks into a convent and she's smoking a cigarette and she takes a big uh, like swig of whiskey and just starts beating the fuck out of nuns and the it's priest. Just a bunch of nuns. Yeah, and then she pulls out a shotgun and starts shooting them, and then she lights some of them on fire. It's a, it's just a really wild ass intro, and I was super excited. This is on Tubi, so I saw this intro and I was I was just geared. I was like, this is gonna be a really fun little gem yeah. that I'd never heard of before. That and intro no, it, it, it reminded me of like a trailer that you'd see in Grindhouse. Like yeah, it, it looks like it, it was made by Robert Rodriguez or something, but it was, yeah, handsome. it was very stylistic. And, and, you know, I was like, Oh, okay, this is going to be great. And this movie just quickly deteriorates it. It kind of loosely takes an idea from something like night of the demons, but just in like the shittiest way possible. And then just breaks down into, you know, the generic, like Scooby-Doo esque getting chased around in an abandoned place. So 
All right. That's Sounds a- fun. Cle- clearly, the director is a is a recovering Catholic. Yeah. Doing some like you know uh, some fan you know some fantasy killing all working those some shit out. Working yeah. some shit out exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you got to. And um, yeah, the last one I'm going to talk about this week. The last one I'll mention is I also checked out Bones and All, the the new one from Luca Guadagnino. Uh, Jensen, have you seen this one yet? No. Not interested. <laughs> Not interested. <laughs> Yeah, see, this is a Timothy, a, Timothy Chalamet. I mean, I, I'm interested. I'm interested in Timothy Chalamet, but not the, not that movie. <laughs> no, you know, I, I, I want to read the book, but, you know, I'll, I'll wait for it on streaming. I'm sure I'll catch it, you know? Yeah. Well, see, and that's the thing is I'm I'm a huge fan of the Suspiria remake. I think that movie's fucking awesome. I think and yeah, we talked about you're wrong on it, but whatever. Yeah. I love <laughs> them both, though. Like, I love both uh, yeah. Dario's and that one, but. I love you to death, but you're totally wrong. Anyway. <laughs> and Bones and all, I wasn't sure because I don't fucking, I've never liked Timothy Chalamet. I don't know what it is. There's something about him that he just doesn't I just, do it for you. I haven't been able to get on board. And um, yeah, this what, one completely. What, what, well, clearly you're straight. <laughs> there we go. That might, yeah, that might be, that's definitely. Not, not, plays a role. Not a te- you're straight and not a teenage girl. Sorry, go ahead. Exactly. Yeah. But, um, but the thing is, I am a big fan of, like, I, I love those pretentious ass, sad young people who are in some kind of turmoil, falling in love road movie. Uh, you know, most notably, this one is clearly, clearly inspired by Malik's Badlands, which I'm a big fan of. Um, but yeah, this is the, you know, can be put in the same category as like uh, Let the Right One In or Raw or, um, you know, there's all these kinds of like young adult films that feature characters that are they have some kind of abnormality that separates them from being normal people. And it, it, it adds to the whole emo-ness of the movie. Right. Just that whole, like trying to fit in. Yeah. But so I, I don't know. I just, I wasn't, ex- and especially like, I'm like, I just don't see how this is going to end up being a horror movie, but it absolutely fucking is. And uh, it really worked for me. Like I, I really, really enjoyed it. I was deliriously sick. So I think I like enjoyed the, the tone of it. It was just kind of all working for me. I was a big fan of it. And now I love Timothy Chalamet. So maybe I'm not straight oh, anymore yeah. either. I don't know. Cause it's kind of, <laughs> it, he won it me converted over. him right on the spot. I, I heard that. I heard that he was miscast in that role from the book, but you know, that's neither here nor there, but I wanted to also add that cannibalism is having a big moment yeah. right now with Dahmer. And then, you know, we're going to talk about silence of the lambs, but apparently cannibalism, you know, with raw, you know, with bones and all with the Dahmer show, like cannibalism is having a real, having it's real so hot right right now now. it's so so hot hot. so hot right now (laughs) and like the cannibalism in bones and all it's it's vicious like it's pretty brutal and there's there's a couple moments like i remember when raw came out like people are fainting in the theater and you know that was one of those movies that everyone was just talking about how grotesque it was and then you finally see it and you're like "Eh, it was kind of tame like you know but by our standards nerds who host a horror podcast um but yeah the this one i was i was genuinely shocked by how vicious it was at times um but yeah it's totally like you know and i'm a sucker for near dark was like my first that was the first movie i pitched on the terror table that i wanted to talk about oh, um, i love near i love near dark yeah it's oh, it's God. it's great and like there's so many similarities between bones and all and near dark but uh yeah i i went into this one without without too many expectations and it, it definitely worked for me um it's just yeah it's one of those pretentious movies this year that really got me then you also have army hammer you know coming out as a cannibal and all that kind of stuff so it's it's very hot yeah it's it's in the zeitgeist 
and that was one of the, the one of the reasons I also I think it was a little like iffy about the movie. Like I had I didn't have any interest in seeing it because like I never I didn't see Call Me by Your Name. I've never been an Army Hammer fan, even before he was a fucking like you know a known pile of shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I was like, this seems like such a weird victory lap to to go from you know directing and like skyrocketing Army's career with Call Me by Your Name, and then being like, oh, I'm gonna make a another romance film that's about cannibals. It just seemed very strange to me. Um, but Ar- it, Army Army Hammer also miscast in that movie. Yeah, he supposed to be twenty four. That guy looks thirty five. Yeah, and then Timothy Shamalama Ding Dong looks twelve. So yeah. it's really it's disturbing. That, anyway, that's what, anyway, that's what I was I was thinking about that as well though. At work is uh like yeah, okay so yeah he was born in nineteen ninety five so Timmy Timmy's well, oh, oh well don't of, don't don't tell me that no, Jesus he's, Christ but he's well of age but he looks so young in bones and all even I'm like man it's so weird that they're like he's just become this hardcore sex symbol uh these days and it's like he looks like a child. <laughs> Well, but, I think also he's got that sexy androgynous kind of yeah. thing going on, the Bowie kind of thing. So you know, Bowie and, and uh, Bones gay, and all. Gay, he's like catnip for gays and young girls, you know, because he's like not, he's not so manly that it's like scary. He's like a girl, you know, with that life body and that, that he's skin. He's the new Leo. Like he's the, the modern day Leo now. Yeah, hopefully his life goes, you know, a lot smoother than Leo's <laughs> has. But, uh, you know, he's he's just very girlish. You know, he's yeah. got that, you know, the kind of his gamine or whatever, you know uh-huh. what I mean? He's got the long fingers and stuff. Yeah, people in the luscious hair and all that shit. His really, really, I thought he was really well cast as Paul Atreides. You know, we could make this yeah. into a Dune podcast if you want, but we won't go there. <laughs> yeah, no, that'll be the next time you come on. But yeah, I, I was surprised by how much I, I loved Bones and all. So, um, yeah, take take that however you will. Uh, I think do- you might have I think you might have sold it for me. I was. Uh, you know, I was like wavering on it, but I'll probably check it out when it comes on the. Yeah, yeah I'm like, sold on this. It will, and keep in mind, like it's a very, it's a very slow paced, uh, you know, kind of a meandering love story. But that's I, I'm a sucker for that kind of stuff. Like, um, yeah, like I said, to me, Near Dark and uh, and Badlands are the two what that I could really, really connect it to. Um, but yeah, and I just like them as characters. And then I was, I was shocked by how violent it got at times. And it was like the type of violence, like. It, it was just so real like this isn't even really a spoiler because I guess it's in the first like five minutes but the first time you see the girl uh, like take a bite out of someone it's like it feels so real it doesn't feel comical at all it doesn't feel over the top and it's like that really just it made me cringe and you know I'm not a cannibal guy uh actually you know I say that but I fucking who's love- your favorite who's your favorite cannibal Hannibal Hannibal Lecter for sure um but yeah I don't know it's it was great do you guys have anything else you want to talk about before we get into I have one more I want to mention here before okay. we go. Uh, so this is a 2022 film. It's more of a crime drama than a horror, but I, I feel like it can kind of make the cut here. So I watched 2022's uh, The Stranger, which is on Netflix right now, Joel Edgerton and Sean Harris. And it's about an undercover cop who is trying to get a suspect of a murder case to confess. And this is a very slick crime film uh, i i would like to call these like films like these kind of like baby fincher films mm-hmm. they you know they're they come from that same kind of ilk and cloth and you know we're you know we're talking about sexy men here right now brooding and, white guys yeah, <laughs> and joel edgerton he does it for me joel edgerton is, <laughs> yeah moody uh 
and and just you know gruff he's always got a beard he's just ready for action yeah. and I, I just will i also want to mention that sean harris is a fantastic actor and for anyone who hasn't seen it's been stuck in my brain ever since i've seen it but if you haven't seen possum which uh he is oh boy what a fucking bizarre movie it, it's just sean harris now just creeps me out just because of that film and uh, so yeah, I, I, overall, I, this is me talking about strangers, not that. Uh, so overall, the stranger I think is a really well crafted film. It kind of reminded me of kind of that slicker crime drama, even the way like I, you know, I always gushed about Lost Girls, how much I like that film. Mm-hmm. This is definitely something that could be paired with something like that, and just a very slow burn. And the the end just it really it really wraps it up really well for you at the end. It's it's, it's I can't I can't say enough good things about. It. I think that's going to be my watch after the episode tonight. Perfect. I, I sold you on it here. Yeah, well, that's like, you know, and it's so funny because uh, you look at even the Druid's hand and, you know, us both, we're both from Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, something about gruff, depressed, fucking bearded dudes just being, being brooding and sad. Just being, yeah, just brooding. <laughs> dudes being dudes. Uh, big fan. I know. Yeah, straight, straight men love that, love that jam. Mm-hmm. We love being sad. I've, I've dated enough of those, so I'm like, I'm over it. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, uh, yeah. Do you get, Jens, do you have anything else you want to mention before we hop on to silence? No, I think I'm ready. I'm, I think I'm ready to go for silence Ripped of the lambs. I'm ready. I'm, I'm ready to go. You know, that's, uh, you know, that's uh, the Hellraiser was the last thing I watched. Tonight, though, you know, I will be watching 90 Day Fiance tell all yes. tonight. So, you oh, know, the that, tell that's all. The tell all. Yeah. It's a four part tell all. Six. <laughs> hours of, oh, of is six hours is big ed still around yes that that fucking creep talk about serial killer that guy's such a creep and angela you know it's just gotten so trashy love it is big ed is he the one that's like this yes yeah, he's a dude with no neck <laughs> like are, he's yeah. he's his own character this is a little throwback to one of our like i know so i haven't gotten into 90 day fiance i trust me i do all the other trash like i'm a fucking love is blind nutcase you like the circle i was oh i did do the circle when it first came out but i i now have to limit myself like i can't it, it's so bad because reality is the type of shit like like temptation island you start an episode all of a sudden it's five in the morning yeah uh-huh. like, i'm yeah. so bad for that yeah but, but that shows wild i chalk it up as to social experiments i'm a writer i'm a director i want to understand the human condition <laughs> so that's where i'm going to learn about it um, but what am I, it's, this is a throwback to one of our old episodes when we had Eduardo Sanchez, director of Blair Witch Project on the show and Boozy, one of the first questions he asked him is, do you ever feel like, uh, you in competition with big Ed, you, you were comparing him to big Ed. <laughs> he's, never gonna come, he's never going to come on this fucking show again. You fucked <laughs> oh up. My God. We did that. And then talked about his dick. Oh, by the way, so Jensen, are you circumcised? Oh my God. Are Jesus you Christ. <laughs> what the fuck is this fucking podcast? Yes. I'm circumcised. Yes. Nice. One of us. Five, one five, of five, us. Five, five. <laughs> Congratulations. We're, we're, what, what, is this fucking, what, what is this fucking podcast? Was Sanchez was he uh, was he circumcised? No, no. Sadly, he's well, he says a lot past. of a lot of Latino guys. You know, are not they're not circumcised or whatever. Yeah, I've, you know, I, I have had a, a lot of experience with uncircumcised. Circumcised, uncircumcised, you know, bring it all. You know, I'm five, pretty promiscuous, right? With so it. we just we just <laughs> feel like we're we're on a higher pedestal because of it. 
but you know we don't want to like gush yeah, about it too much like, we're we, know, I think, we, we know we're better than everyone else yeah we're, we're humble about it, it obviously. you know here's the thing about circumcision is that you know i think it looks it's just it's more for aesthetics right i think it, right. like a lot of the times like a dick that doesn't have a hood on it erect looks really good but yeah. then uh, you know uh people i know or i won't name names but are uncircumcised and uh you know they say it feels better because it's not rubbing up against stuff. I guess like with being circumcised, you get this kind of like, uh, uh, you get like a, um, uh, what is it called? Like a, like a, uh, it gets crusted or whatever over. It's like a <laughs> scar, scar, scar tissue on an, on a circumcised penis. So you actually don't right. feel as much. Yeah. So, you know, if it's protected, I think there's more of a sensation or whatever, but if you like real horror, you should read the Bible uh, you know, there's some really good stuff about circumcision in that, which is really interesting because when Abraham first got the order to circumcise, you know, himself and everybody in the house, he was like 90. People are like in their 20s and 30s and stuff. And then, you know, he does this whole pile. He of was 90. Yeah. Well, you imagine a- your your fucking senile ass grandpa running into the room like we got to cut the skin off our dicks now. <laughs> well, you know, like 90 back then in biblical days or like yeah, 50 that was like you know, I was 14 yeah, when yeah, it happened yeah. for me, so it's like you know, right. tomato, tomato. Yeah, but your grandpa didn't. Wait, wait, wait. Were you 14? You wait, were you really 14? Were you 14? Yeah, this is or- see, Jensen. This is this is like a day. This is this is the lineage of the podcast. Wait, are you really 14 or is it a bit? No, I was 14 when I got circumcised. Jesus yeah. Christ. Yeah. yeah. Why did you? Did you have like a an issue or yeah, something? Yeah, yeah, it was an issue. Oh, I was playing Star yeah. Wars Rogue Squadron on my GameCube and uh just couldn't pee and I had to call my dad and yeah, it was it was a whole thing and it's it's defined my life. Like that so and my 14, parents divorced. It's defined this podcast. Oh, as well. hold on. wait a minute, wait a yeah, minute. Yeah, and my parents are divorced if you're wondering. Hold on. I, I, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. I have questions. <laughs> so you're 14, you're playing the fucking game. You can't pee. So dad has to come in and look at it. And you had hair. No, no. And see, I come from a very like a a home where we never talked about that kind of stuff, you know, raised religious. What home talks about this? I know it'd actually be weirder if he did talk about it. Um, But it was one of those things where it was like, (laughs) last, last case, Ontario. let me see. Let me see. Let me check it out. <laughs> yeah. Last case, Ontario. You talked to your parents about it. And like, yeah, I went to the bathroom and I'm like, oh, this this is it was it was blowing up like a balloon. I'm sorry for everyone eating at the moment. Oh, but, Christ. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah I love yeah. all this gross stuff. So what happened? You have like an infection or something? It was it was growing over. It was just, you know, I was growing. I had a growth spurt. It was uh, it was a very big year for Mitchie. <laughs> oh, Mitch is just trying to say he has a big dick. That's what he's yeah, trying no, to that's, say. Trust me, that, that's another thing about the podcast is that's the it's the opposite. Um, but yeah, <laughs> ended up we're ended neither up, growers uh, nor showers. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's yeah. It sucks when you're neither both. But uh, but the good news is my sister's got me Elf on DVD as a circumcision gift uh, when oh, I got nice. home from the hospital. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, I would have to take a look to judge it fairly because I don't. <laughs> right. I don't think men are a good. You know, a lot of men are not a good, uh, you know, mm-hmm. they, they don't, they're not a good judge of their own penis size. So anyway, after the podcast, well, you know, yeah, yeah. I was gonna say, we're about to go on break. So this is a perfect, yeah, perfect yeah. time. It's a, it's so a great time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, you know, um, I, there was a guy once that, uh, you know, I hooked up with and he sort of had this, like, uh, his penis had, uh, it, it had the foreskin where it couldn't open. And, um, so he couldn't really, what? yeah, it so, doesn't, th- this so is like, like a diglet. <laughs> No, it was it was a, it was like a one nice... of those things like a graboid from Tremors. Well, hold on, hold on, Boozy. Yes, 
Yeah, yes, yes, Boozy. Yes, yes, Mitch. It's very shy Holod. Uh, you know, the, the maker, bless the maker and his water, bless his comings and goings. Uh, yeah, it looked kind of shy Holodish. But when he was erect, you know, it was a nice size and everything because, you know, I'm a size queen. But I, um, I, when he was erect, the foreskin still went around the, the head of the penis. And apparently uh, King Louis the 16th, I want to say, he had the same uh, issue. So he actually did has this guy to get... tell you that. Like, how does that come up? How does that information? I gotta add this to my bed. No, it was it was in my face. So <laughs> I saw it. Right, uh, but how were you? You weren't instantly like, "Hey, that's the same dick King Louis." Had. Like, that's not no, just no, 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 no. King Louis no, just, over here. No, we just you know you just did you know, whatever happened happened, and I didn't bring it up, but I right. remembered that it couldn't. It was like uh, all the way around the head. So, and it was tight on the head, the little, the little like hole or whatever. Right. And um, it couldn't bend, it couldn't, uh, you know, slide down. So uh, it was just sort of like covered the whole time. So I don't know what kind of pleasure that he got, but apparently here's my story. So apparently the King of uh, France, he had the same problem and then he had to get circumcised at a later age. But here's the, here's the irony of the whole thing is that the guy who made the cutting implement for cutting this uh for him being circumcised was the same guy that designed the guillotine Ooh. think about it it's a true That's revolutionary a, it's a no it's a full circle kind of irony right because the same guy that chopped his fucking head off chopped yeah. his head off yes this is the wildest information dump like we've learned history right now and it's like the, the shit you don't regularly it's hear like what Sarkin just says man write what you know write what you know yeah. yes I'm an expert on penises. Okay. Like, you know, good. We, uh, we, we like I to just, fancy ourselves experts on penises, but everyone, you have no idea. Me. You have no idea. We've just, we're just, <laughs> you don't know, you don't know any, you we're don't just know scraping anything. the foreskin. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just, I feel really bad for, for Jeff. If he still listens to this because he listens to it with his daughter, like frequently. <laughs> I warned you to, at the beginning of the podcast, I'm no, this gonna is great. This is, I'm going to get canceled. Of, no, this, this is, is the kind of good health tips that we need in our lives. We're going to take a little bit of a break here, take a look at each other's dicks, and we'll be back to talk <laughs> about Silence of the Lambs. We'll see you guys on the other side. You spook easily, Starling? Not yet, sir. He's past the others. The last cell. I'll be watching. You'll do fine. The killer is on the loose. Keeps him alive for three days. Then he shoots them, spins them, and dumps them. A rookie FBI agent is on his trail. He's got real physical strength, cautious, precise, and he's never impulsive. He'll never stop. But in order to track him down, she'll have to match wits. I'll help you catch him, Clary. Believe me, you don't want Hannibal Lecter inside your head. With the darkest of all minds. Just do your job and never forget what he is. But oh, he's a monster. Pure psychopath. So rare to capture one alive. So close to the way you're gonna catch him, do you realize that? Oh, Clarice, your problem is you need to get more fun out of life. You told me you don't spook easily. You call this easy, sir? Lester's missing hand arm. Man's a raving maniac. Who knows what he'll do?
I'll lead us off here. <clears throat> All right. And well, and welcome to our main feature presentation. Leave, leave it in. Leave, leave it in. I will leave it in. I promise you. Welcome to our main feature presentation where we are talking about The Silence of the Lambs from 1991, which was directed by Jonathan Demme. It's based off the book by Thomas Harris and the screenplay by Ted Talley. This was a film that was uh, brought to the table by Jensen. And this is obviously a heavy hitter. This is like, I think this is one of the best ones where we we often talk about like, it took us forever to cover The Exorcist because it's like, mm-hmm. what's left to be said about The Exorcist? Like, yeah. what are we going to, what are, what are we going to have to bring to the table? It's going to make a, for a fresh conversation. I feel like this is one that uh, that's ripe for a really good discussion. I've made it no secret on the history of this podcast that I am a, Thomas Harris Stan. I'm a Hannibal Lecter Stan. I love these movies. I love this franchise. He's your um, favorite cannibal. He's your favorite cannibal. So he is my favorite cannibal. Yeah. No. And uh, the movie is starring Jodie Foster playing Clary Starling. We have uh, Sir Anthony Hopkins as Dr. Hannibal Lecter. Scott Glenn as Jack Crawford. We all know the shit that Anthony Heald, the the world's biggest fucking the most punchable face in cinema, uh, playing Frederick Chilton Chilton <laughs> in this movie. Um, so let's get, let's get into it. Jensen, why did you suggest Silence of the Lambs? Oh, I mean, it's just like so obvious. I mean, it's like one of the best films ever made, um, you know, and you guys hadn't covered it. So uh, which is a shocking and really kind of shameful, really. Right. But, so it's like um, a travesty I, to use. I need to, to quickly it. say I need to quickly say it's because I have always wanted we sometimes, especially during COVID, where we were able to be locked down and we could go through franchises. I love doing big franchise yeah. series and episodes. And I'm like. Hannibal, we got to do the gauntlet. We got to do everything. And I really wanted to make Boozy watch the Hannibal TV series because uh, I'm sure that's something that's going to come up today as well. But the, this is one I've just been waiting for the right time to do the series. And it just doesn't seem like it's going to happen anytime soon. So let's just talk about the big one. Let's talk about Silence of the Lambs. Yeah. And I'm also a fanable. You know, that's what You're they call us. A fanable. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's a great show. But um, Silence of the Lambs has been with me for, you know, since it came out. Like I told you, I'm from the 80s. And like, uh, I saw it when like it first came out when it dropped in like 90, 90, 91. So I caught it on like cable. And, you know, uh, as a young person who's just getting into film, like I was saying, I was getting into Curacao and all that kind of stuff. I saw it and I was just sort of like blown away by it because it's like nothing that's been out there before or kind of since. Uh, you know what I mean? And like, I just thought it was so intelligent and, and it's, uh, it's a horror film. So, you know, you have all this online discussion. Is it a horror film? Is it not? Is it a police thriller? You know, is it like a psychodrama? You know, I think it is definitely in the horror zone because what differentiates a horror film from a thriller, it's that it's a nightmare. It's fantastical. Uh, you know, the thing with the angel and like the, uh, you know, remember when he splits him up, with the mm-hmm. angel, that's very dreamlike. You know, the whole movie it operates sort of like this phantasmagoric, phantasmagoric uh, dream. You know, so that's to me what brings it into the horror uh, realm. Plus, it kind of is like a uh, a uh, uh, a storybook. You know, kind of like a fairy tale. You mm-hmm. know, uh, I was thinking about this recently. It's sort of like hero's journey. You know, you have the the young person who's the hero that's going to go on this journey. She rescues a princess. You know, she's the senator's daughter. You know, Catherine Martin is a senator's daughter. You know, and then you have the monster who is not Hannibal Lecter. 
but it's Buffalo Bill. He's the monster in the dungeon. It's like the Minotaur, right? She, at the end of the movie, she's searching for the Minotaur, the monster that's in this dark cavernous kind of maze or whatever, right? And then you have, going along with the hero's journey, is you have the young person, in this case, it's a woman, who has a father figure and a mentor, but in this one, she has two, you know, she has that off that awful Jack Crawford, you know, and then she has, you know, Hannibal Lecter, hello, Clarice, she never said that, by the way, that's a Mandela effect. But so you have these two good and evil, you know, sort of like guiding her on her like hero's journey, and she rescues the princess. So to me, that's what moves it from the realm of a basic boilerplate policier cop thriller into mm-hmm. the realm of horror because it has all of this kind of fairy tale storybook sort of elements and just shocking you know imagery that they never do in these kind of cop shows you know what mm-hmm. i mean like the thing with the cutting off the fucking face that's so metal oh, bro it's bro, so horror it's, like, it's fucking metal you know yeah. he has the face and then he's doing the, you know, remember when he was like convulsing, you know, mm. in that and the elevator and all that kind of shit. And so to me, it like moves it to a horror, even though it only has the kind of, uh, you know, uh, little bits of, you know, little bits of gore. And the thing that scene, that beautiful scene where they extract the the moth from the girl's mouth. And then yes. there's that breath, the, the sound design of the breath coming out is so is so indelible. So it's been with me for a very long time. So my personal journey with it, I saw it as this kid. And I was like, whoa, wow. I can't believe you could do something like this. You know, it's mm-hmm. so literary and so intelligent. And you have these long pages of dialogue, which back in the day, I've never seen anything like that. You know, and it's it's hard to kind of nail those long scenes of dialogue like that. You know, you have to have fantastic actors and fantastic writers. And what I will say really quickly is I think that Ted Talley is the true artist of the entire film. I think that he uh, takes it from this kind of boilerplate sort of police drama. And I think he is the key to it because he was a playwright. So it has a sort of like theatrical, dramatic Mm -hmm. sort of element and the scenes that go on for a long time with that great writing. And, um, you know, it's it's very, uh, but we'll get into it. Uh, It's very queer, you know. But yeah. uh, I'll, I'll let you guys. Uh, uh, what 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 that, did you guys? Yeah, you you led us off to a flaming hot start that fucking rules. I'm so excited. No, nope, no pun in, no pun intended. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, no, that was, but no, seriously, that was a great way to open this up because, first of all, I agree with all of that. But uh, something I think boozy. We've been friends forever, and we talk about horror movies every single week. Yeah. And I don't know if we've ever really gotten into the conversation about. We've talked a little bit about Hannibal. I know that the TV series, yes. but yeah, but uh, Boozy in terms of Silence of the Lambs, like what, what's your history with this movie? Yeah, it's it's one that's been around a long time. And it's one of those ones it had. I guess you just would have had to have been there in terms of time frame. But like going growing up on like the playground, it was like like lore. It was, you know, it was almost like uh you talk about the candy the, man you talk about <clears throat> fucking hannibal lecter you talk exactly about Jason like that Voorhees. yeah before it's, you it's knew like, it's iconic it's iconic yeah yeah before you knew like what a, a cannibal was you know it was like all of that and the the fact that they they use a name that that rhymes with cannibal you know it's like it's so on the nose in terms of like how you grow lore with kids but going on from that so i i saw it when i was very young and i you know i don't think i truly appreciated 
what I was watching. Not that I didn't think it was good, but it was, I was more interested in like, I'm waiting for the, you know, more like the red dragon kind of stuff. I want to, I want to see what Buffalo Bill's doing. You know, I, you, you really want that as a kid, you really want all that stuff from like Hannibal Lecter because it, he's kind of more of like a, he's like a Jedi Knight almost in this, in a, a lot of this movie. Yeah, um, he's her, he's her mentor. Sorry to cut you off, but he's her mentor, you know, more so than this person that, uh, you know, she's just interviewing. He exactly. becomes sort of like the wizened, like in the hero's journey, right? Joseph Campbell, he becomes this sort of like Obi-Wan Kenobi-esque sort of person that is going to be very important in her life. Yeah. yeah. And I, I think the interesting part about that in terms of, uh, you know, you mentioned it's not just that like crime drama or standard thing. It's it's so interesting watching, uh, you know, uh, Clarice go go through uh, like Academy and everything. And you you kind of realize that all the people that are supposed to be on her side are all subtly against her. Everyone around her, they you know it's like she can be there but they don't want her to succeed in any way so it's very interesting that uh the the only person who really uh wants her to succeed is a fucking killer yeah and and because he sees what these you know like all these men aren't seeing in her and and a big part of this film obviously uh, as a former woman i know a lot of insight on this <laughs> but just i can you know, speak like, as a woman yeah i as can the speak straight white personal man. experience can, uh, can, canceled yeah <laughs> just that you know like just watching her go through the academy and you see that she's like this bright student and she's she's there to like do something she's not there to fuck around and you just watch how constantly even rising through the ranks it's like i get no respect around here i get no yeah. can't give her I get, no, I get respect. no respect yeah and and piggybacking off of that another thought that i had also is that she's sort of like hit on all the time and she's sort of mm. diminutive and actually a uh, real hot take the story makes no fucking sense like if you actually analyze and break down the story it makes no fucking sense but that's again horror doesn't make sense right yeah you know these people go into the convent they're fucking more white people love going into abandoned places but you know if they were real people you know in real life they would you know like in nope or whatever right they're gonna take the this video of this uh ufo it's fucking mm -hmm. stupid but you know so the 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 what you call the inciting incident right is unethical you know so you have Jack Crawford who is a stand-in for John Douglas who uh, his he began the uh, behavioral sciences unit at the FBI and basically so he is using her uh, he's sending in a cadet which is wildly unethical you know what I mean and probably possibly illegal I don't know they they sort of know that he knows who Buffalo Bill is. So the whole thing is this elaborate ruse, you mm. know what I mean? And so what you're going along with what you're saying, Boozy, is that she's sort of this person who is just like disregarded and they're setting her up for this trap because did they, did Jack Crawford know and did the BSU know that he would talk to her? He's clammed up with everybody else. It's just a guess on mm -hmm. their part and they're sending in a student, you know what I mean? So I don't know if he saw something in her or if it was just sort of, an elaborate game it's really it's kind of unclear because you know yeah the story. I, but I, but it makes sense on a narrative level because you need to have that young person going into this and who stands up to him because remember in that first scene you know he kind of puts her down you know with your good bag and your cheap shoes your yeah you know, he well dresses scrubbed. her down yeah, like literally well, well scrub hustling rube <laughs> with your good bag and your cheap shoes and then she goes back up to him and says, you see a lot, don't you, Dr. Lecter? You yeah. know, but can you point your high power perception at yourself? You know, so she is standing up to him. 
You yeah. know what I mean? Right. And he gains a respect for her. And I don't know if the BSU and the FBI thought that she could do that uh, or if it was just sort of this kind of elaborate trap or whatever. Who knows? It's not mm-hmm. really clear, you know, what the goal was with this idiotic sort of, you know, thing of putting a fucking young. What is she like? 19, 20? I feel like they, did, they didn't know. Yeah, they didn't know what to do. And that's just such a classic police procedural mm-hmm. like thing to do is to just yeah, like, yeah a- let's just give it to the rookie and get her also- in there. Also, it's bad police work because they oh, yeah. sort of knew that he knew who the killer was somehow. Mm-hmm. They don't explain mm-hmm. it. But the whole ruse is that they sort of already know that Lecter knows who the killer is. So it's not even about the investigation and the police work. It's sort of a cheat a little bit because mm-hmm. at the end of it, they sort of find the killer kind of like, you know, it doesn't take a lot of great police work. You know, I think yeah. they have a guess that Lecter already knows who the killer is. So they're sending this like 20 year old or whatever, you yeah. know, in to talk to talk about. So it's like not even about the police work or whatever. And then really, qu- really quick, guys, I'm sorry. Uh, you know, with John Douglas, I read all the John Douglas books and about the BSU and, you know, interviewing serial killers. I don't know if it's ever caught anybody. Do you know what I mean? I think right. it's just sort of like this academic exercise. And the whole point of it, you know, with Mindhunter and all that kind of stuff was that, oh, you're interviewing them so you can catch them but i don't know how successful that program has been mm-hmm. do you know what i mean i think you catch killers nowadays because we all have a phone everybody knows for the you know there's cameras yeah. everywhere right you know and there's it's a lot more of- so just for understanding it definitely of- it definitely helps because yeah. it put it on the map like that's mm-hmm. the the whole bsu and john douglas and like yeah for people who don't know like this like jock the character that's based off of jack crawford john douglas is the the mind hunter from the TV series that we all yeah. deeply mourn that we're not going to get a third yeah, season. Um, but that guy too, he's like he's such a Republican, like he's very conservative in his like views and stuff, and it comes across a little bit. It's very, mm-hmm. it's what we call in the United States like propaganda. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Where it's like you know, and this is kind of a light example of propaganda, not to get too political, but like you know, it's like you do whatever it takes. There is no mm-hmm. such thing as due process. Get you know what the I mean? bad guy. Yes. We don't care how many laws we have to break. We don't care what mm-hmm. kind of ethics. And then that sort of like prepares the audience for the kind of police work that's done these days, which we have all these problems with. And, yeah. you know, this is not Silence of the Lambs. You know, it's that's kind of a softer version of that. Mm-hmm. But I feel like, you know, like a lot of these movies and TV shows, it's the especially like Law and Order and stuff like that. It's like. They'll do whatever it takes. We'll break yeah. any law. You know, mm-hmm. you always have that bad cop beating people's asses and stuff like that. So this is kind of an example where Clarice Starling is just kind of thrown, you know, into this like situation and they don't think about the ethics or the legality or like any, anything like that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Sorry to go off on that tangent. No, but- I, I just um, <clears throat> I just want to kind of backtrack to one thing you said here before I, I get it over to Mitch, because I know Mitch has a lot to say about this as well, because this is such a, a seminal film for all of us. Seminal, <laughs> seminal. Clearly. Um, <laughs> I just wanted to go kind of when you're talking about like the the motives of of Hannibal in in terms of why he interacts the way he does with Clarice and where it goes from there. Yeah. I always look at that as, uh, you know, like his greatest asset is his mind. So he's flexing that muscle. So him having this constant, you know, like the, he mentions about the other, the other psychiatrist tries to grill him that he ate him, you know, something like that, where he, he needs something to truly flex his, his muscle. And, and that becomes it. And it becomes almost like a, a muse where it does turn into that, uh, that, that kind of uh, mastery kind of 
and, and that's a weird position to put uh like a villain in really because you kind of like him in a weird way like even when he's describing things he's done you, he's a master level narcissist like, yeah and, so and i mean and you even look at the idea i guess the overarching idea of it is like it adds so much more depth to a character like that when he has like a, a muzzle on like you know that's the most famous stuff and how many things have spoofed and continue yeah, to the spoof the whole like yeah coming in on the cart with the the mask and the suit on but it's just like that was such a powerful thing to see that because you're you're seeing this person who up until that point had been just casually talking in an open cell and you know you're you're kind of seeing the the brain side of that but then you see yeah. the actual like the fear that people have and, and how lethal this guy is by just the fact that they have to bring him in like a, a dog that has rabies yeah well that's that's sort of like the genius of ted tally is that you know he's not just like this raving maniac or whatever he's mm. like a genius he's very cultured and then yes also he's very human you know when she puts him in his place he sort of gets pissed off and it's like a census take i tried to test me once you know and um you know i think that kind of caught him off guard a little bit because people just do not fuck with him that way and she threw she gave him the smoke like right back yeah. you know what i mean And i think that kind of took him aback and he had to terrify mm -hmm. her you know to put her back in her place but that was an interesting moment and it's a very human kind of moment because he's very human also because he he doesn't fuck fuck around with going back to what you're saying he doesn't fuck around with her he actually no. talks to her like a colleague mm -hmm, you yeah. know and um respects yeah, he, her. he picks her brain a little bit he manipulates then, yeah, the fuck out of everyone that. and that that's what like the the thing that just gets better and better over the years of revisiting this franchise reading the books again and like just yeah. the the character as a whole is that from the very beginning Hannibal is in control 100% of the time and he's the one who's detained in this entire movie and like it's from the very beginning of the film like everything that happens is because it's by his design and I yeah and like I, feel, of, I feel going back to what you're saying I think he does manipulate her into giving him like more information do you think he literally just wanted like the tea of it he's just like yes, oh yeah. what's no, going I was, on uh, over no. here yes Buzzy I was uh, Boozy I was getting into that <laughs> <laughs> Buzzy, excuse me, Boozy. Um, I was gonna get into that. I think he's just sort of bored. You know what I mean? He's yeah. like no books. He can't paint or anything. So he's like, oh, there's this bitch here. You know, it's twenty year old. He sees let an me, out let too, me, though. That's an out. Let me. Yeah, it's like he he does manipulate her and manipulates the entire situation so he could get out. But also, I think he's he just wants tea. He's a psychiatrist. His whole life is tea. And he's, right. you know, and we'll get into a, it in a minute. A hot goss. A hot goss, and we'll get into it in a minute. But he's sort of queered. There's a queering of him also where he just wants to know more. He's uh, he's uh, interested in like the human mind and mm -hmm. he really wants to get into this woman, you know, mm -hmm. and all of her trauma and that kind of stuff. And then, you know, if you know the books or whatever, you know, they have sort of, you know, rough childhoods also. So I think that they're sort of, uh, you know, they're kindred spirits in a lot of ways also. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? But she's also they also kind of respect each other i think where they know that they're on opposite sides of this glass well you know that I mean? then i think he feels like he's actually speaking to someone who's kind of can match his intelligence in some form like that's a sign of narcissism in him as well and something that i love about going back to signs of the lambs well, I, I think years, i think i think he thinks he's smarter than her but i she's think still better than jack crawford though but yes, but she's more open. And then also she has an intelligence that he sees that no one else does. But I yeah. think he thinks that he's smarter than her and everybody he, else. He always and actually does. He, he is because he got out. Anyway, yeah. sorry. No, no, and he, <laughs> and he totally is. But like that's the thing too, is like, you know, going back to 
when I was a kid and I first saw this, like you, you have this grand idea that the police and the FBI know exactly what they're doing. And I think about like, there's a scene in this where Clary's they're doing like a, a procedure where um, they're doing like a, a drill to, and it's basically like she goes in it's like, can they detain this person without her being killed or shot? And then the cop comes yeah. out of the corner. And to me, it's all just so Rex Quando Napoleon dynamite is like every, yeah. all these police officers think that like, in film and in literature and in history, we see yeah. cops being good at their jobs and their reality. None of them know what the fuck they're doing. And I'm actually That's not even a- meaning. I'm not even meaning to do a whole ACAB thing. It's that they, people are so incompetent and they don't know how to respond to these situations. And that's what's so interesting about how this movie plays out. Well, you make a great point. And the thing is with that corner shed at the beginning of the movie, that's going to come back later. That's a yep, foreshadowing exactly. of that. She does. He is in the corner the her blind spot. And then she does shoot the monster, yep. you know, at the end of the movie. But you make a great point because the police seem incompetent because they catch him. They catch Buffalo Bill only because, you know, that he already like knew, knew, knew who he was already. And yeah. then he just literally points her with literal arrows to who the killer is. So she didn't do really any police work. He sort of like left. It was all in his cart. It was, he decided, he he, he decided how it was going to work out. Like that, that's the thing. That's what makes Hannibal so much. And going back to like, you know, just my, my experience with this film growing up is that like, I, I had a historically like got absolutely destroyed by a movie when I was younger. It was Jeepers Creepers. It completely fucked me up when I was a child. And obviously, that's a whole conversation for another day. Child, obviously, a child, exactly. A child, yeah. how, how young are you? Jesus I, Christ! Well, see, <laughs> this was around the time I was circumcised. I saw Dreepers Creepers. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Right, um, right. Yeah, but but like it was a big thing. Like I didn't sleep for weeks. It fucked me up. I hated horror movies because it fucked me up so bad. Now that's the biggest part of my life. I love horror movies more than anything in the world. That's why I'm still here. And uh, I remember like my dad was trying to console me, being like, you know, this is why. Everyone was scared of this movie, The Exorcist. And I never went and saw it. And then yeah, he, he then wanted to start show. He he was like trying to help me get over my fear of movies. And he yeah. talk about the silence of the lambs. Like that's what it was. My dad that introduced me to the silence of the lambs. And I saw it when I was like 10 years old. And he's like, that's like a it's a scary movie because it's real. Like these types of people actually exist. And I, remember, I don't know what he was thinking. And like, this is going to help me. But I watched Silence of the Lambs and it fucking destroyed me um because well, clear, I was well, like, clearly clearly you guys have an inappropriate relationship because you know he <laughs> took you to get circumcised and taking you to silence of the lamps there we go yeah there we go yeah yeah but no and it was he, all uh, just shock therapy the thing, is, <laughs> the thing is though like with hannibal lecter is my whole thing since you know i knew who the character was was that's the number one like fictional heavy air quotes fictional characters that I just, I would never want them to know my name because it feels like if he knows you exist, he can fucking destroy you. It doesn't even matter if he's got a machete and he's standing in front of you. It's like, that's, there's something so cerebral about Hannibal Lecter because he's smarter than everyone else in the room. Well, he's a typical toxic gay because he's reading her for filth with your good bag and your cheap shoes, all all the sticky, sticky fumblings in the backseats of cars, getting any, getting out, getting anywhere all the way to the FBI. But you're right. You know, he does respect her because he has that other line where he's like, you're the riddle and the fillet for the Philistines. You know, you're the honey and the lion which yeah. is from the book of Judges. So, yeah, you know, but, the, but he's a typical toxic gay, you know, reading, reading her for filth, talk about her shoes and her fucking bag and her Evian skin cream and shit. It's like, leave this, leave this child alone, you know, and then, you know, with Senator Martin, love your suit. 
Yeah, so he could destroy you with words because he's a typical, you know, typical, you know, fancy homosexual. And see, you know, I anyway, never sorry. thought of it. I never thought of it that way. Yeah. Um, and I've spent a lot of time in this universe. Like I've read all the books except for yeah. Hannibal Rising. I've only read once and it's I've only seen the ter- movie. Ter- ter- it's terrible. It's, yeah, it's bad. But since we're on this subject really quick, uh, uh, Boozy and Mitch, mm-hmm. um, I wanted to say about the kind of queer reading of this uh, film and you guys can piggyback off of it. But basically uh, at the time that it was released in the 90s, ACT UP, which is, uh, you know, Larry Kramer and this like uh, uh, gay organization, they protested it, you know, because of the depiction of Buffalo Bill as like a trans, a quote unquote trans woman uh, or whatever. And, um, you know, I think in the years since it's kind of been embraced by younger gay people like myself who's very young. Um, But there is kind of sort of a queerness uh, that cannot be ignored because I read the book Mm -hmm. also and I think they sort of like made it very queer. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, and uh, I, Jonathan Demi, I read, was very disturbed that gay people at the time didn't like it and thought it was a stereotype because he went to great pains to kind of make it a lot more progressive. Remember, they put in the movie, she's not, Billy is, a tra- is you know, it's not a transsexual, but he thinks he is. Yeah, they, you know, they blatantly explain all that stuff. They they cover their asses because they don't They try want- to. It's basically yeah. just like Psycho. Psycho did the same thing at the end of the movie oh, where they I'm try so happy to you mentioned this. Where they try to, you know, uh talk over and try to, you know, uh get out of the whole trans kind of issue mm-hmm. by with these like long explanations. But um, you know, I think that uh, there is just a very kind of queerness to Silence of the Lambs that's not in the book and I don't know how much Thomas Harris uh, did uh, you know put that in but you have Clarice Starling probably a fucking Les Les right you know she's with Ardelia her and Ardelia are very close all these men are hitting on her on her and she's just like cannot be bothered by all these men that want to fuck her well then you know know, shout out played by openly queer uh, actor Jodie Foster yeah she wasn't open at the time exactly yeah she was in the closet at the time but whatever so but maybe she kind of like went with the the queer kind of subtext of the film and really kind of brought it to the fore because you feel like with her, she just cannot be bothered by men like a lot of us. And mm-hmm. um, uh, also, you know, with Hannibal Lecter, it's not like how it is in the book. The way that uh, Anthony Hopkins portrayed him is sort of the stereotypical kind of like high-end queer gay guy you know, he's into opera, you know what I mean? He's into fine dining, you know, he's into sweetbreads and the Dolmo scene at the fuck, you know, these are rich gays I don't hang out with, you know, like they're like the gays from the White Lotus, you yeah, know what yeah. I mean? Like they're these sinister. They're and then, but then there's a little bit of a homophobia with Lecter who doesn't get talked about because he's sinister, you know, he wears these great clothes, he reads you for Phil, he likes, uh, you know, lamb chops or whatever. Uh, you know, so there is a uh, light sort of homophobia with him because it's the evil, mm-hmm. you know, homo, homo reading kind of person. And then here's the interesting thing really quickly about uh, Anthony Hopkins is that there was a legend for a long, a long time that he based, you know, Hannibal Lecter's voice on Catherine Hepburn from Suddenly Last Summer, which is about cannibalism. Uh, oh, and he based sense, the yeah. voice on her. No, he didn't. In a recent interview in 2021, he came out and said that he based the affect on Truman Capote, who is another infamously evil gay. You know, he's seen as like this evil. He's one of my favorite. He's like my hero. 
Yeah. And, you know, in the in the years since he's died, he's become this sort of villain. And I think he's become this template like Hannibal Lecter and Capote as this sort of villainous fag. You know what I mean? Like he's where he's got the Bergdorf Goodman. You know, he, he he's like talking shit about, you know, Tennessee Williams and, you know, Lee, Har- you know, Harper Lee. And, um, you know, so it's part of this sort of like, you know, light homophobia also. You know what I mean? Like the sophist- the sophisticated evil you know, like in White Lotus, which yeah. is written by a bisexual man, you know, the White Lotus, you have these evil gays, you know, who are into Italy and whatever food or, you know, foie gras and shit, but they're like evil. You know what I mean? They're trying to yeah. commit murder. So, you know, I don't think that's ever been discussed, but I think there is sort of a light sort of homophobia with uh, with Hannibal Lecter. And then also with the Buffalo Bill, you know, Jonathan Demi has said, oh, he's not gay or like, yeah, you know, uh, or even and trans or anything, which is interesting, you know, for sure. And th- that's actually that's an interesting thing to talk about as well, because I'm going to be completely honest with you. Like, I, I pay attention to the stuff that I watch and I like to dissect what I watch and understand what people are trying to say with what they're with what they're putting out into the world. But I have never considered Hannibal Lecter as a like just a homosexual character. I always thought that he was like kind of he would exploit whatever. It didn't matter what gender yeah. he was going well, to exploit they... to to get ahead in his yeah, own. Right. I, I always felt like he was in a way like beyond sex. Yes. You, yeah. You know, like, no, he's he's part of the he's part of the ace community. You know, that's what the AA stands for. And LGBTQIAA is part of the he's asexual. Right. But I'm my thing is that it's not in the books you know, that kind of swishy, almost kind of caricature that he plays in the movie. I think that's all Anthony Hopkins and maybe Ted Talley's sort of like invention, Uh, you know, because none of that is in the books. Brian Cox didn't play that in my and and moves on to Hannibal, though, with Mads Mikkelsen. Like, that's clearly a love story. But also, yes. Well, you know, Brian, you know, he's he is gay, the creator of that show. And he intentionally put that stuff in. But Mads Mikkelsen in that show doesn't have this kind of like swishy, high end gay kind of persona. He's just sort of Mm -hmm. like Mads Mikkelsen, who you just kind of want to fuck. Uh, you know, uh, but he's not he's not asexual. You know, Matt Mickelson is a very sexy man, whereas like Hannibal Lecter, like you're saying, Boozy, he reads as sort of this ace sort of beyond sex. But what I'm trying he's to say almost like robotic, he's like in a yeah. little bit like the Terminator, you know, like yes, he doesn't yeah. go to sleep. He just crawls out of a shadow. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and the thing is, he didn't blink either. You know, uh, Anthony Hopkins, that was like his design. Actually, I caught him blinking, so that's a lie. But anyway, um, because I've watched the movie like 6,000 times. Wow. Take away the awards. Fuck he does, this guy. He does, he does blink. Anyway, um, uh, it's not that he is openly gay. I think that there's just a lot of stereotypes, you know, and even remember in the the book and film of Hannibal, the sequel, you mm. know, there's that one character that says, oh, I always thought he was queer. You know, and he's into all this like queer stereotypical stuff mm-hmm. like foie gras and all that bullshit, um, you know, but it's not that he is openly gay. There's just like a lot of stereotypes and the way his mannerisms are just very elegant. Uh, you know what I mean? So it, mm-hmm. it, I kind of think it does. I think all of the protests and stuff were really concentrating on Buffalo Bill. But I think what gets lost is the discussion about Hannibal Lecter and the kind of queer the queering of like Hannibal Lecter, which may or may not. I think my personal opinion is that it was done on purpose by Anthony Hopkins, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. by mirror, mirroring Capote. You know what I'm trying For to say? For sure. 
And yeah. as a movie, like this movie has been debated and discussed for, you know, decades at this point. But I do find it really interesting. It was like, I'm someone I've seen like all the documentaries about the making of these movies. I fucking read the books multiple times. And Jensen, 100%, I have never heard people talk more about the issues with Hannibal over Buffalo Bill because everyone is so focused on that. And that's, yeah. I've had multiple conversations. Like, it, this is one of those things where I'm like, I, I'm, I know who I am as a person. I know I'm not a hateful person. I know I'm a very accepting person. And I have a lot of friends who I, I am not. Yeah, okay. You're you're a sweetheart. You're a sweetheart. No, no, but it's from like the start full of hate. You, you, full of hate. But like, you know, this is this is one of those movies that and it actually happened a lot recently because I'm a few like you, you and I have even talked about this. I'm a huge psycho fan. I love psycho of Silence of the Lambs. And Pulp Fiction yeah. is another one that gets brought in because of just not even homophobic reasons, but it's the whole uh tarantino's use of the the language and everything and it's people who think that it's like if you like this stuff you are not an ally you're a problem and and yeah. that is something that's so wrong well, for me and well, the, i want to have a conversation yeah. about that well the thing is like you know you have movies like cruising you yeah. know uh, you know which is also about which another so I watched that last year which is yeah. why i couldn't it's believe it's a fucking, fucking wild movie billy freaking was on cocaine yes. all the way and i had a discussion God cocaine i talked to billy freaking about it no uh, way I, yes and um you have talked uh, to bill yeah I, uh, dropping names nepo baby yes. i've talked to uh I've, I've had a conversation with um uh, I've talked to Clyde Barker too. We should get into that later. Oh my God. Uh, but um, you know, I've talked to uh, Billy Freakin about it. You know, I've I've talked to him a few times at various events. We're not friends, you know. I don't fuck call him up and like, yo, Billy, what's the tea, yeah. girl? No, what but I guy. asked I asked him about cruising. <laughs> I would and, love that. <laughs> but um, I talked to him about cruising, and apparently there is a lot of gay porn that he filmed uh, in the film, and he cut it out to get the R rating. It was a, a trick. You know, right. by putting in hardcore gay porn, they're like, oh, you got to cut this stuff. So it's like a sleight of hand. Uh, but anyway, I think a lot of these things have sort of gotten uh, uh, that were seen as problematic at the time in a postmodern sense. Right. Because younger gays and younger people are very postmodern. You know, your your uh, fellow Canadian, uh, Dr. Peterson, talks about that. The uh, the epidemic of postmodernism in our society. Right. Uh, but, you know, uh, we're all very postmodern. So I think that the younger people can, they've embraced it. You know, they, mm -hmm. they know that it's of a time, you know, we're not idiots either. And we know that maybe the creators aren't homophobic. It's just sort of this sort of underlying kind of homophobia that just like, you know, homophobia and white supremacy and all that stuff and misogyny. I don't have to tell you guys, it just sort of it lives with all of us. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that these people are bad people. I think they just sort of like, you know, just, you know, show stereotypes and stuff without really even meaning to. And then, you know, that's why Jonathan Demme and, you know, Alfred Hitchcock, they go through these, they're progressives, you know. Yeah, that's how we so grow. They, People they learn through, by making yeah. these mistakes. But but also they're very progressive. Hitchcock is very progressive for his time, a lot of queerness. You should invite me again. We'll have a, uh, we'll have a talk about Hitch, something Hitchcock. But, um, you know, in Psycho, he goes through great pains to say, this is not a trans person. This is not a gay person. This is a very sick person. But you know, uh, with Buffalo Bill, that's sort of problematic because like, who is this guy? You know, it's sort of like, I think Buffalo Bill is kind of the worst written character in like the whole thing because he's been sort of robbed of his like, you know, his personality. You don't really get a sense of who he is. You only see the because, vicious side. Because 
you know, they're going through all these great pains to try to like not make him trans or this and that. Also, you know, like Dress to Kill is another great trans, you know, killer, killer movie, um, you know, you know, movies like that. But, um, you know, the thing is also with Hannibal Lecter, I was going to say uh, just really quickly is that this guy, he's not gay, right? He never says he's gay. This guy has the most toxic friend group of homosexuals more than I do. Okay. <laughs> Like he has Benjamin Raspell, okay, has his friend, right? He's a, he, buff, you know, James Gum is his, like his, his, uh, you know, is one of his patients. You know, he kicks it with Mason Verger, yeah. you know, who's a child molester and a psychopath. This guy, if he's not gay, he has the most toxic gay friend group of all time. And remember in the story- He's a therapist. Buffalo Bill. No, but he's kicking it with Mason Verger, yeah, you know, which but, is unethical to kick yeah. it with Benjamin Raspail. He's hanging out with these fucking weirdos. He's a weirdo, too. So yeah, it's a he, bunch of psychotic weirdos. His line of work pulls them in. You all don't you don't have to hang out with him after work. <laughs> and also you could call the police when yeah. uh, remember James Gum killed Benjamin Raspail, uh, you know, the lover. There was like a love triangle or whatever. So I guess and there you go. I guess Buffalo Bill is gay because in the book, he kills Benjamin Raspell's lover. I didn't kill him. I just tucked him away, you know. Um, and uh, so my point is that if he's not gay, he hangs out with the most noxious, psych- psychopathic homosexuals. Mason, Mason, Virgin, Mason, would you like a papa? You know, yeah. uh, so if he's not gay, he's really he needs to be careful of his fucking who you what do they say? Who you hang out with is who you are. Yeah, you're kind some of, a of the five people also, you spend the most time with. Also, the unethics of the this industry is he should be calling the police on these. They're they're you know they're confessing criminal behavior to this fucking guy. He's not doing shit. You but know he's a I mean? psycho. That that's exactly what I'm talking about from the very beginning of what I for, when I first opened up about there's this. A law that he's, there's, he's always in control. He is always uh, he is such a narcissist that he is beyond talk- everyone. He's a toxic homosexual and uh, he's very unethical as a doctor because in the United States, there's a law that if somebody uh, confesses to committing a murder, a beheading, you're supposed to call the police. Anyway, we're talking about a cannibal, though. Like, that's the thing, though. I know. He he is absolutely unethical. I know. know. That's what makes him interesting as a character. I know. But it's it's it's, uh, you know, it's a bit. I'm just saying that (laughs) his company that he keeps, you don't have to again. He's hanging out with these people after hours. They're not in the office. Oh, yeah. He's doing poppers with Mason Verger. This guy, why are you hanging out? You know, of course, he's a psycho. You know yeah. what I mean? But my point is that if he's not gay, he's sure like hanging out with a lot of them who are also <laughs> like him. Really toxic. He's a chameleon. Psychotic, psychotic gays. You yeah. know. <laughs> okay, so I, I have to ask. He he is a cannibal, but this this also goes in hand in hand with probably my favorite quick little scene that happens when she discovers the head in the storage. Yeah, that's Benjamin Raspell's lover. I didn't kill him. You know, I, I just tucked him away, you know. OK, yeah, yeah. Uh, right. That is. Hit. OK. Yeah. Um, catching myself up. I, I love that part right there. And it's such a, a moment of terror. It kind of reminds me of like, uh, I can't remember the character's name, but like the the head and jaws. It's like still one of the scariest parts of yeah, that. Yeah, the scariest jump scare in history. Yeah. So it, it reminds me of something like that. But I, I just, the subtlety of that and kind of the, yeah. the weirdness, because it makes you think like, uh, 
you know, Hannibal's this, this, uh, such a thorough person and just the idea that he just randomly has like a pickled head just in his storage locker seems very unfitting to him. Yeah. And then remember later he kills Benjamin Raspell, you know, because he was like really bad at his job on the Philharmonic or whatever, because he's a pretentious asshole. So he kills, um, you know, he kills uh, Benjamin Raspell. Um, but yeah, it's, it's part of that love triangle, you know, with uh, James Gunn and all the, it, that's all in the book. It's not really yeah. that clear in the movie, but in the mm-hmm. movie, it's like a great scene where the American flag and the old car and the mannequins, it's just so like weird, you know what I mean? Yeah. But that's what I love about Thomas Harris too, is the sort of imagery. I call it like a Baroque, it's sort of like a Baroque policier, you know, mixed with horror and fantasy, you know, it's just sort of like these images are so indelible, oh. you know, like with the pigs you know, and all that yeah. kind of stuff, you know, the angel, you know, and, and all that kind of stuff. That's, that's great about this, this work is that the images, you know, and this America again and again, you know, they talk about, she's singing American girl. He, uh, you know, James gum has the flag, you know, there's a flag in the car. So mm-hmm. maybe they're making a statement about the United States, you know, itself, how, yeah, and, how sick we are as a country. Yeah. And and that's the other thing I like about what uh, Thomas Harris did with this, though, is he he did kind of mesh in a whole bunch of different people that were profiled with the BSU, like um, like how clearly like Ted Levine and Buffalo Bill, like you, you see He's not only Ed Gein based heavily oh, off Ed Gein, but Ted, Ted Bundy as well. Like that. Yeah. Whole, yeah. That, that was the scene that scared me the most when I was a kid, because I was just like it, it fucked me up so yeah. bad thinking that. like, And Ted Levine is the reason why it works so well is because his voice, his voice alone is so commanding. But when he's like yeah. getting her up into the vehicle and be like, you just got to go back there, go back. There. He pushes her in and like, put the fucking blouse in the basket. <laughs> no, he, he's a great theater actor. And yeah, then the woman, so the the woman who played, uh, you know, uh, who played uh, Catherine, Catherine Martin, you know, yeah. she uh, they're both they've been in things together and they're both like really good actors. I saw, you know, she did, uh, uh, you know, Uncle Vanya. She played one of the characters in Uncle Vanya in the in a in a filmed version of it. But um, I was going to get to that, Mitch, really quickly, is that he is like a Frankenstein's monster that he created himself. You know what I mean? The, the, the woman's suit is a patchwork of different women. Then he himself is a patchwork of different serial killers. You know, you got Heidnik in there, you know, you got Heidnik, you know, you got Gein, you know, and then you also got like Ted Bundy. So it's just like mismatch mix, uh, you know, this, uh, this stitched together of these different sort of serial killers and personalities that Thomas Harris put because Thomas Harris reads a lot of this stuff because, you know, uh, this is based, um, you know, on a real thing that happened with the BSU where to catch the green river killer, you know, cause the FBI didn't know how to catch this guy. And, um, they went to Ted Bundy, you know, to, um, to interview him and get his, uh, opinion about the Green River Killer. And um, he said, he told them, watch where the bodies were buried because, uh, you know, the Green River Killer would go back, you know, and revisit the sites. It's like totemic, you know what Mm -hmm. I mean? It's fetishistic. And they turned out to be correct, but they didn't catch him. So (laughs) yeah, with that information, but it's true. They found out later that he did go back to the sites of the burials and things like that. Mm -hmm. But that's where Thomas Harris got the idea initially was from these interviews that the BSU was doing with these serial killers to try to catch other ones. But of course, unlike the fucking movie, I don't think they ever caught anybody. You know, I could be wrong. Yeah. No but, doubt. I don't, 
I don't know if it's ever like, I don't know if it's ever, if if they ever caught someone before, uh, you know what I'm trying to say? Like the, mm -hmm. I don't know if they actually just caught someone mid killing mm -hmm. spree. It's always this sort of after thing that they knew all this stuff about the person, but they still couldn't catch him. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because serial killers also, they're not like Hannibal Lecter. They're not brilliant. I think like the average IQ is like 73 or something. Yeah. You know, these guys aren't smart people. The thing is, they kill strangers. Most people who kill, it's usually a spouse. And here's my bit that I tell Sean, I get it. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, like I, I, I understand completely. 99% of murders is the spouse. So if you are not killing someone you know, uh, if it's a stranger, it's harder to catch just because you can't, you don't know who did it. There's you know, no, you link, have no yeah. connection. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I don't know if the BSU and all that has ever been, you know, successful in catching anybody before they could kill more people or whatever, but that's what, that's the origin of silence. It's fascinating still. Yeah, you know no, totally. I mean? And, but the, and the, the, keep in mind though, too, like, uh, obviously we talk about cruising and, and all these movies, but I think one of, one of the things that makes Silence of the Lambs so special is that this was like the one that really broke in and hit the masses. And it really put it put like serial killer stories into the front line. Like, obviously, there were so many movies before this, but this is the one that won a, an Academy Award. And it's one of the main reasons why people idiots say that this isn't a horror movie. It's like, man, if you ever it, like I watching it again today, I watched it again this morning and I've seen this movie so many fucking times. First of all. Yeah. Sons of the Lambs is a mood. That's my favorite thing about it is that it's a mood like it's the a vibe. fog. Oh, my God. Is it it's such a vibe. a vibe? And it's that to me is all Jonathan Demi. And um, and coming from like, you know, I, I like Jonathan Demi's movies, specifically this in Philadelphia. And I know that he did Philadelphia afterwards as a large, large part of that was a response to he hated the way that Sons Lambs was recepted. It was so, so he huge. made a he made a movie where we're dying of AIDS. Okay, thank exactly, you, Jonathan. Rest, exactly. Rest it's, in peace. Rest in peace, Mr. Demi. Jensen, Jensen, welcome to white saviorism. We're the trans serial killer, and now we're just dying of AIDS. Hey, okay, I guess I guess that's the only stories you can fucking tell. We're right? white people. We're trying to solve it all. You're trying your best. <laughs> You're trying it's, your best. I get it. And kudos to you. It, the, um, the, the sentiment is is the, it's there and it's right, but it is so skewed and it's fucked up. And that's why, you know, like I'm not the know. person to really comment on all this stuff. That's why I love being able to talk to you. Kudos, kudos you know, kudos to Mr. Demi, um, you know, who, and but I think that uh, going back uh, to what we were saying earlier, I think that the real uh, artist of the movie is Ted Talley with the writing because yeah. it was so sharp and, and brilliant. But I think also Jonathan Demi's style adds a lot to the story, yeah. especially with the thing that he does, which is his thing of people looking directly into the camera. Totally. You know, he would he would have people do a line reading off camera while the other actor is looking directly into the camera. And that adds this sort of like, you know, uh, it is intimacy. You know, you're he looking deep into us. You know, that's him. He like other. He elevated other... the character of Clarice like better than anyone could have. I think Gene it's Hackman, who was supposed to direct this, could not yeah. have done that. Oh, girl, it would have been so awful because he doesn't. He <laughs> it would have been know. Michelle Pfeiffer. Too. He doesn't Michelle Pfeiffer know. And, uh, who, who, I think who, Sean Connery. Sean Connery was supposed to play uh, Hannibal Lecter. Or Doctor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I could. What's your butt bag and your cheap shoes? You know, like, uh, <laughs> I'm finding Forrest. I'm finding Forrest. Yeah. <laughs> All the way to the FBI. You know, League of extraordinary Some farmer beans. The guy's just an incredible actor. For fuck's sake. <laughs> um, 
you know, but here's what I was going to say about Silence of the Lambs. It's a perfect alchemy. You know, it's a, a movie god type stuff, right? You know, people yeah. always talk about the movie god where all of these things just sort of are, for whatever reason, fates or destiny or the universe or whatever, sort of all this stuff is just this melange, you know, this just uh, is accidental mixture of things that created that this great, this yeah. great, this great piece, this masterpiece. Um, and it was all sort of accidental. Do you know what mm -hmm. I mean? And it all sort of just gels and sort of works and it should, doesn't have to because everybody's career is different from what they did with Silence of the Lambs. Like, you know, Jodie Foster didn't, you know, do, you know, top thrillers for the, you know, for the rest of her life doing, you know, this uh, Virginia, you know, mm -hmm. the accent, pure West Virginia, you know, like uh, Anthony Hopkins didn't do any more kind of serial killer stuff. Uh, Jonathan Demme, you know, Ted Talley. You know, and they're just like not really, it's not really their wheelhouse, but they all sort of just came together in this kind of perfect way. And just by sheer accident, you know, a lot of filmmaking, right, is just sheer accidents. Yeah. But, you know, it's also just an incredible story, though. Like, yeah, like you said, Ted Talley's writing. And, but also, here's the thing, though, is I like, I, I uh, saw the film first and then I, I've read, I've read and listened to Silence of the Lambs. So I've done the audiobook and the and like man, the Silence of the Lambs and say what you will about Brett Ratner's Red Dragon. I fucking hate Brett Ratner, of course. I like I like I liked, I liked Red Dragon. Red Dragon's good. It's really good. I, it, it I, a, I liked Red Dragon. It has an issue with with the the aging of Hopkins, and that's it. And like the the rest, it's it's a pick. It's a page to screen adaptation. No, no, I I love that part where he's like. You're saying you're better than me because you you couldn't catch me. How did you catch me? It's like because you're completely insane. Like you know that was such a great gay. You know that was such a great fucking read. It's like it's because you're completely insane. And then Hannibal Lecter shut the fuck up after that. Remember he had that mean face. Yeah. You know looking at looking at Will Graham or whatever. I yeah. thought that I thought that uh, Edward Norton was a little tiny bit miscast as Will Graham. Agreed. Yeah. That's but a, yeah. he kind of captured the kind of. Breakdown oh man, Ray, 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 Fine, Ray Fines and fucking. Uh, oh, he's great. He's oh, so he's, good. He's, he's fantastic. Philip Seymour and, Hoffman is. Uh, is oh, here's his great as, as Freddie Lowndes. Yeah, Freddie Lowndes. Yes, like, get, get it. Bert. I think that Silence of the Lambs is not a good, good book as the movie. Hot take. I think the best out of all these books is Red Dragon. That first Red Dragon is such a banger. Like, you know, I saw the movie. Oh, it's it's. Bulletproof. I saw Mindhunter and I respect man. I like his films. Elijah, a great artist, a great director, mm -hmm. but they just didn't have that alchemy, you know, just, just didn't have it. You know what I mean? So wait, like, I are don't you think saying they... Red Dragon's your favorite out of all of the, like the Hopkins? Books. The, okay, books. the books. Yeah. No, the, the books. Yeah. Oh, I agree no, with uh, that. Bro, are you kidding? No, I will never say that. Um, <laughs> I was like, but no, I'm, I'm talking about the books. Yeah. The, you know, the Red Dragon's my favorite. Out of them it's all. a banger. It's so Francis weird. Dollarhide is such a good villain. It is so fucking weird. Creepy. Like, you know, yeah. eating the books of the, the pages of the Blake, the mirrors, the mirrors in the eyes was the thing that really fucked me up. And that killer, if you remember, is based on the BTK. Yeah. Who's because... the, in my opinion, the worst serial killer of all time, which is, yes. I know that's such a weird thing to say, like, which is yeah. your favorite or which one's the worst, but BTK is the worst in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, he's a scumbag, um, like they all are. But um, mm -hmm. yes, but that film, Red Dragon, was based on BTK. the BTK because yeah. it was the, the the killing of the entire families. But I love yeah. that mm -hmm. stuff like they have in Silence of the It's just this Baroque touches. This is nice, just chef's kiss kind of like 
just like little, just tiny, just like really tiny little things that just make it, that elevate it. You know, mm-hmm. the stuff with the Blake, you know, and then remember in the Red Dragon, they had the little, in the book, they had the little character, the Japanese or whatever it was character, you know, mm-hmm. and then in Silence of the Lambs, you have, you know, the the stuff with all the music. And then, you know, like I said before, like the angel, you know, it's just, you know, it's just such a, you know, and in the book of Hannibal, which people don't like in the movie, which I still like, you know, because I'm a loyal fan. But in uh, Hannibal, the stuff with Mason Verger and the pigs, yeah. oh, you man. know, and all that stuff. It's just this beautiful mm-hmm. sort Shout of out Michael like, Pitt in the Hannibal series. Uh, Michael Pitt as yeah. Mason Verger is one of the most eerie fucking things. Like I, oh. the Hannibal series is like my favorite. It's so hard to say. The Science of Lambs is the masterpiece, I feel like, out of the whole thing yeah. in the cinematic universe. But yeah. fuck me, that series is so good. And Brian Fuller, Brian Fuller, I think really just understood the, you know, uh, for lack of a better term, franchise, because the it's he kept the sort of Baroque, you know, mm-hmm. sort of elements, you know, the way, you know, the people were sort of like, remember in the corn silo, you know, how the people oh, were just man, sort of like lined up. Yeah. And then the seeing the that specter of, of lecture with the horns and all that kind of stuff, which is not in the books, but I think he really understood the sort of uh, the Baroque aspects, you know, of the, of the, but then then Baltimore, our podcast, Baltimore has got to be the most dangerous. Yeah. Well, the wire city on the planet. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. The wire and all, all of the Hannibal stuff. Right. I mean, like, but then just the, you know, the amount of psychos, and police brutality. The police are also an issue there. And the cops are so uh, uh, the cops are so lost that they have to ask a cannibal for help. Yeah, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, they're so lost in Baltimore. You know, uh, take this thing back to Baltimore. You remember that scene? Yeah. You know, t- you know, there's this scene with the it's... cut off a man's arm and he can still feel it tickling. Speaking... Tell me, mom, when poor Catherine is on the slab, will it tickle you? Yeah. That's not great which... shit. I was today years old when I found out that George Romero is in Silence of the Lambs. I was today like that's I forget. I, I learn something every time I see it. George A. Romero is in Silence of the Lambs. Well, yeah, because remember, Demi got to start doing all those B movies. Yeah. You know, Corman is in it. Corman, you know, so yeah. He, they he say puts a lot so, of- someone was saying the Lynch is in it. And I watch it again. I'm like, that's not fucking Lynch. There's no way that's know. Lynch. They, they're know. saying that one of the cops is Lynch. And I'm like, that's not Lynch. That's not. I don't know if Lynch. they knew each other or whatever, but like, you know, Jonathan Demi got to start like, you know, making like really rough kind of B movies. So yeah. he's in that kind of like circle with those guys like Corman and all that. You know, everybody got their start with Corman. Goat Roger Corman. We got the mm-hmm. Goat Corman. The movies are really fucking atrocious. But um, yeah, you know, he sort of had those kind of deep cuts, those actors and people that he knew from like the theater world and stuff like just like really small, like like a deep cuts and stuff. Yeah, I think that uh, didn't Romero play one of the cops or something like that. Yeah, yeah, he's and that's the thing, too, is like, okay, so that's something I want to talk about. I want to bring Boozy into this because I want to hear more about like because we, you and I have never really talked about Sons of the Lamb. So now that it's fresh on your mind, I want to hear more about your your takes on this, Boozy. But uh, but the thing is, like going back on it, this has always been one of those ones that people say it's not a horror movie because it's fucking it's a prestige movie. It was well respected at one Academy Award. So people say it's not a horror movie. This is so clearly a fucking horror movie. And specifically when you find Hannibal, like like when, the way Hannibal escapes escapes yeah. and he's got he's wearing the fucking head like he's Leatherface. 
And it's like, this, it's so far-fetched and it's so out of the realm of possibility of me believing it. Like if I have one negative to say about it, it's that, but it's a story and it's a very intense and interesting story from start to finish. So I give it a pass. Like yeah. Science of Limes is one that it has some logic issues that I give an entire pass because I just love it so fucking much. Well, I mean, honestly, it passes that test of being a horror film. As I always think about, is like, could you insert other characters like in a friend from a franchise into that and like put Michael Myers in a position like that? You could make a, a Halloweeny kind of film based off of however many fucking times he gets out of a hospital. Yeah, but just just that idea of you can implant another character in there and it would still have that same you know some of the same core concepts is like yeah this is this is a horror film it it does um interesting job of building up to that because it, it spends so long being a procedural yeah. that when you get to the end it just it goes off and it, and it really yeah it, it builds up to that and you're you're kind of breadcrumbed the entire way along also something i learned about this doing some research before we recorded i did not realize that laura dern was in the run to be clarice oh yeah and michelle pfeiffer yeah, and Michelle, but I'm a yeah. huge Laura Dern stan, so I just think about how she would have done in this. It would have been a, it would have been a totally different take. Oh, a hundred percent. And yeah, and uh, Jodie Foster was like the third or something in line or fourth or whatever, mm-hmm. but she really, she saw it. She was like, "I got to do this movie. I don't care what happens." So she's very ambitious. How she kept just like going for it, you know? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? <clears throat> And I have a lot of issues with Hannibal, like the the movie Hannibal. Like I I have I I don't hate it the way that a lot of people do, but I it, I, I really like it. But sorry, yeah, the, the, and that's the thing. <laughs> there, there's there's some really good moments in it, but Julianne Moore, who's an incredible actor, is not Clarice to me. Like it's mm-hmm. like, that's one of the things that makes it you know a little jarring. I do much prefer Jodie Foster's like it's take about- on it. Yeah, Hannibal was sort of like a money grab if you read about it, you know, totally. because yeah. Demi and everybody sort of Ted Talley, uh, everybody passed on it. They were like, mm-hmm. I wouldn't want to once they read the book, you know, the book. I, I liked the book, but they were just like, well, let's just leave, you know, let's leave it alone. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You can't you can't recapture that. sort yeah, of. Yeah, like, how can you top that? What What yeah. is there left to do, really? Yeah, but I, I liked I liked uh, the book and the movie. I'm very much in the minority of it. Mm-hmm. But again, I like the sort of like really weird elements and the stuff with the, you know, the the, the Potsy family and mm-hmm. you know that kind of stuff with uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, the the gutting, the aver, you know, avarice, you yeah. know, and, and gutting mm-hmm. him in the town square and that kind of stuff. But um I yeah, Julianne Moore is a great actress. The problem, of course, is that we're all watching it, seeing the other yeah. movie. So there's mm-hmm. like no way. That you could sort of like uh, top it, you know. Then I mean? the, the the pacing in that movie, it it the story just does not line up with the pacing of Silence of the Lambs. Silence of the Lambs is so incredibly lean and mean and quick and to the point, and it's, it's like just a different, it's a different movie. Yeah. And then also the interesting thing about Demi is that he films it uh, not really like your average horror movie. It's more kind of like film noir. You know what I mean? It doesn't have fog or like, you know, that kind of like what what they like to do in horror movies like Mitch, you know, that kind of light. I'm just I'm totally kidding. No. But, you know, that kind of like shoot, horror, baby, shoot. 
you know, I'm just, I'm totally joking, but you know, that kind of like horror movie, like lighting. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. You know, yeah. You like, use the lighting and the fog and the, the haze. Yeah. Yeah. The the and they, they didn't, it didn't have that kind of like music, yeah. you know, the discordant music. I think what he did is he's just sort of shot it like a noir, yeah, you know, not totally. like a, not like a typical horror movie, whereas like Ridley Scott, I think he was like, Oh, we're just going to make a, you know, kind of like a horror film, you know, um, uh, so, the whole Ray Liotta scene is like one of the most memorable scenes in the, the entire corn, franchise. A corn pone pussy, right? <laughs> uh, the feeding of the brain is so good. Oh, it's so uh, good. Boozy Winslow, have you, have, how have you been with the rest of this franchise? Like, what have you dabbled in? I, I can't remember if you ever actually finished the series. I did. I, I finished the series. I thought that was really good. Um, I, I don't get as horny for Mads Mikkelsen as everybody else. Yeah, and I, I 100% I, I, do. I, yeah and, and i know i'm not in the majority with that one and also like i i've seen some of the other films like i remember watching hannibal rising kind of being oh, like terrible you know one yeah like it, but so the bad. concept like what we could have got from it probably could have been a cool story the it thing just... yeah sorry real no, quick <laughs> real quick really really quick in that the book is awful mm-hmm. you know and he did that thing that you don't do, you know, you explain the fucking villain, yeah. you know, it's just, and I read that book and I'm like, oh, this is just like, it just kills it, you know, it just kills mm-hmm. the mystique, you know, of the character. And, you know, there was like, in some of the books, they make little hints about his upbringing and things that happened with the sister. But then in the movie and the book, they sort of just laid it all out and it just, there's no more mystery you know, with Hannibal. And so they really kind of killed him. The stuff with the samurais, the Japanese stuff, it was- that They mentioned gone. Saskatoon in it though. I know that was a big oh, thing. God. They See, did, I, they mentioned our, our hometown. Cause that's, Han- uh, did you know Hannibal actually, he spent some time in Saskatoon, Saskatoon. Of course, uh, you He's know- fictional to, character. It's easy to kill up that there. That actually you know? drove it's him uh, to kill. It's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's easy to dig up a body and all that fucking snow. But um, yeah, it's a, he does that thing that, you know, you're explaining everything. It's boring. Right. You know, like the thing like Michelle McNamara, you know, said uh, about the, the serial killers. Once you explain them, it kills the mystique. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're not scared of them anymore. So I like that, you know, when these the prior books that he's just sort of the side piece care. He's not the main inciting incident. You know, he's just sort yeah. of this this dude that helps them, you know what I mean? So you get this mystery, this air of mystique that, you know, the the book and the movie of Hannibal Rising just sort of kills. And uh, yeah, that's just, that's uh, my really basic take on it. I, everybody, I don't, maybe there's somebody that probably out there, you know, there's some fucking weirdo that no, loves I would... Hannibal, Hannibal Rising. Yeah. There's a stand for, you know, the wasn't gong wasn't gong lee like in the movie too she's chinese oh, yeah it's it's not good is she in um, that movie i don't remember is she in that movie i guess we could look it up but you know, yeah we cares? could but i guess who, question who, who for cares you, question for you though jensen so we we did like we've talked about but i want to get like a point blank answer from you like are you offended by the representation of buffalo bill in this movie no, like, do you, do you no, think it's damaging no i mean god what am i like a millennial no uh <laughs> i mean get a life but here's what I will say. I never was offended ever. Yeah. And um, I'm just like not offended by stuff. I'm not a baby. Like, you know what I mean? I, actually, I am offended. You know what? I'm offended when we're not cool, psychotic villains. If we're just like born, I'm more offended by Philadelphia. Okay. Yeah. You know, dying of AIDS or, or like, you know, the swishy kind of characters that are not dangerous. I like cruising 
and Hannibal Lecter and Buffalo Bill because they're fucking dangerous. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, no, I was never offended by that stuff. I'm more offended by when you're just watching a movie and then there's just like some swishy character that comes up, has two lines and then goes away or whatever, or is like mistreated by somebody else. That's offensive. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Buffalo Bill, you know, the thing is at the time in 1990, ACT UP, you know, the AIDS crisis was really at a fever pitch at that time. And also at that time period, you know, if you know queer theory and film history very well, which you guys, you guys don't know about queer theory probably. I don't mean, I don't, I'm not the queer theory guy, girl, they, or whatever. <laughs> but, um, you know, at the time, there was no representation with gay or trans people. And if it was, it was negative. You know, it was like the 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 gay, the swish, you know, the sex addict, the alcoholic, whatever, AIDS victim. And then Buffalo Bill comes out and then, oh, here we go. It's a trans woman, just like Psycho, you know, and then you have the Hitchcock stuff who's very progressive for his time, but all of his gay characters are fucking maniacs, you know, killing people. You know, tra- you got the trans guy, you know, uh, cross-dress, C- he's CD, you know, the world of uh, trans, you know, you have CD, cross-dresser, you have TS, transsexual, you know, you have, you know, gender queer. there's a whole spectrum, but, um, you know, definitely Buffalo Bill is on the spectrum, he's, he's at least queer, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Because uh, he does put it on the woman's suit, that's a form of drag, you know, it's like high drag, you know, he's singing Goodbye Horses. Uh, you know, Could you imagine the- him walking down the runway and and everybody's like do the the Rue commentary. Uh, his all tuck, the judges are, yeah. His tuck was on point. <laughs> you know that tuck was fierce, honey. You know uh, the outfit out of the wig game was off point because you could see the edges of the scalp. You know he should have blended in yeah. the edges where he cut the fucking scalp. You know that makes it so much easier. Sis, like, sis that's why he's not gay. Is because yeah. he would have blended in those edges. Sis, yeah. come on, come on, baby. <laughs> There you can go. blend in. You could see the where he cut the bitches, uh, you know, the, the woman's. Uh, sorry, excuse me, bitch. Yeah, <laughs> it, where he cut her, he cut her scalp off with scissors. I don't know. You think he's a sewer? You think you could like, you know, cut the scalp? You do it a looks little like bit he, of more blending on it. Yes, he cut the the scalp. You remember when they do that close up in? Yeah, yeah. It's like, if scal- you want to like, look like a woman, he did it with, put some he did it with No, he did it with scissors, like like not yeah. sharp, like dull scissors, like it's Crayola like, scissors. Girl, girlfriend, <laughs> yeah. girlfriend. You know, and she ain't got no titties. She ain't done her. She girl, she ain't done her nails, <laughs> bitch. She, clearly, she's she's a baby drag queen, gay. Yeah. She's a baby trans woman. She's just feeling her oats. She's yeah. just getting started, honey. You know, well, before a horrible Clary Starling. Clary Starling is a hater. You know, because yeah, that, she, she was she just starting. It. She was just starting her journey. You know, she could <laughs> not blend, honey. You know, she ain't got no titties on, baby. Clary Starling is a hater, of course, lesbian, of course, lesbian, yeah, lesbian is hating on the trans woman, you know, sorry. Oh, my God. <laughs> no, it's but that that's just but in, in, in regards to your class, I'm not offended. And we've all embraced it. And we all know that it's part of a time mm-hmm. that was just not as woke. It's not as progressive or whatever. The that, problem at the time was that there was no other representation. Exactly. Besides a psycho or an AIDS victim. I so just, that's why Larry Kramer with his loud ass. Can I shut the fuck up? You mm-hmm. know, I just Sorry. feel like there isn't there wasn't malicious intent with. And that doesn't well, mean that that, that doesn't but, give it an, a, an inherent pass. Yeah. But, but that's me, the thing with all of this stuff. Right. You know, it's never you know, if you read, uh, you know, uh, critical race theory and all that stuff, well, yeah. I don't suggest it, by the way. You know, theory, all theory makes you nuts. But, you know, if you read theory. In theory, they tell you that all of this stuff is sort of like buried. You know, it's sort of like, you know, I, 
No one, almost nobody except, uh, you know, uh, Republicans, you know, or whatever, are like getting up there and are like, oh, yeah, I'm just hating on trans people. Today. Almost nobody. There's a lot. Of, there are people that are. But most people that are haters, they just don't know that, you know, it's just sort of this sort of unconscious bias. Yeah. You know, that's the real dangerous, insidious stuff of our culture. It's because it's well-meaning people. And I've made films before that have been called out and I've been canceled, you know, uh, because they saw that my representations of queer and trans people have been and African-American people, people have said that it was offensive. And, you know, I think they're a bunch of babies. I'm kidding. I'm joking. But, you know, <laughs> after talking with them, they have a they have a point. Yeah. You know what that's... I mean? It's not about you. Yeah. You know, and it's not about your intention. It's sort of, uh, you know, all of the stuff that we're sort of swimming in. So, of course, there was no ill intent. And actually, you know, uh, Jonathan Demi, again, you know, he was said was really bummed out about this stuff. Yeah, mm -hmm. no, for sure. And I, I think it's just it's an important conversation to have, especially in this day and age. And um, I, I just I, I don't know, I, I guess I selfishly I wanted to talk about this because you know I've been called out for being a big fan of science of lambs and I have a psycho tattoo so does that mean that I'm does that mean that I'm someone who thinks who that all fuck? trans who people are, are who are you hanging out with there's like a lot are, of, you are you hanging out I hang out with a lot of lefty LA people and everything is fucking offensive you know what I mean <laughs> can't I'm, can't I'm canceled on this podcast I told you I told you y'all y'all are out. This is a setup to get me canceled. Sorry, Mitch. The, the very best part about it all is every single time that there's ever been an issue with this or there's ever been a heated conversation. It's white it people. Always, it has always been a straight, people. straight white yeah. person. Doesn't matter what gender, straight white person. And they're the ones who have the issues with it, though. And that's why I think it's interesting to talk about. Again, if you read theory and stuff, you know, one of the main things about this kind of subconscious bias and all this stuff is that um, a lot of cis white people and well-meaning liberal white people, um, you know, they want to appear to be, you know, like progressive. They don't want to be yeah. seen as like, allies. like, yeah, allies. They don't want to be seen like Marjorie Taylor Greene or any of those fucking knuckleheads, you mm -hmm. know, uh, but there's a theory that that kind of thing uh, is, is harmful because if you are so, Fierce, if you are so smart and you are so good, you don't have anywhere to go. You, you can't change mm -hmm. of your own bias. So I appreciate the conversations that I had with the people that told me that I was a Gen X, you know, I'm just so shocked, shock me, shock me, shock me. But I appreciated those conversations because I was like, you know what? Some of this, not all of it, a lot of it is some bullshit, but, um, you know, a lot of it was correct. You know, we just don't have a lot of representation, you know, in the media and it's a soft power. It's a soft sort of like with propaganda and all the stuff we're talking about, mm -hmm. it's a sort of like subconscious stuff that sort of seeps into the, the, what they call the overculture, right. Yeah. You know, that it's, and it's toxic, you know what yeah. I mean? But, you know, um, yeah, I don't think I'm not offended, you know, but I see the points. Yeah. And you know, th there's just a very good chance that someone who's watching something like this is not watching with ill intent. They're not trying to be harmful and they don't think that the people who are making it are harmful. Oh, Obviously, I am. I'm, I'm watching for the blood and guts. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's <laughs> the thing, though. But uh, but, yeah, no, I just think it's, it's a conversation that needs to keep keep happening. Um, and it's something that's just so super popular right now. But I think we've actually covered this one super, super well. And I want to start wrapping it up here. 
So, uh, Boozy, do you have any last thoughts on Silence of the Lambs before we close this one out? Um, I just think overall, it. I think we had a really good conversation on it just based on, you know, like we always talk about these bigger films. It's so hard to really have like encapsulating conversations just because all conversations have kind of been had. So it's like what angles to go through. And I yeah. think we did a really good job of that. And it it's kind of like I'd mentioned before, it's wild how much of you know a film like this that's kind of this you know like this dark horror film is ingrained into pop culture and almost every you know aspect it's like everybody's seen this you know yeah it's, no it's it, a part it's, of public consciousness at yeah, this point it, it's so accessible and out there and and the crazy part is is it does have so many horror elements you know you have like that rotting head and, and just kind of you know the concepts of of serial killer violence that was so uh contrary to kind of uh you know how the 80s were in terms of even like slashers you know it became so over the top and and goofy and silly to, so to have something that was so mainstream that was uh you know a darker more straightforward take so yeah, yeah i don't know it was it was great to have a... and it was it was very intelligent yeah you know and it didn't it didn't like handhold and it didn't like he makes all these references to things and, um, you know, they talk about really deep kind of investigative stuff and they're not explaining it for you. You just, and you know, they don't explain the plot and stuff. You just sort of have to like understand it. But mm -hmm. that's the thing is the audience still loved it. It won all these Oscars or whatever. Um, and uh, it's it's just very, it's very unique because it's so intelligent and it doesn't treat the audience like morons. Yeah. Some of them are. Yeah. But it, no, it doesn't but, but that, that's like the biggest pet peeve of mine in general as it's just people who think that they're smarter than the movies that they're watching. And there are people who it doesn't matter what kind of movie they're watching it, whether it be, you know, this might be a soft spot for some people, but Brendan Fraser and the whale this year is the, the very big example. I think of this, if people going in with a pen and a notepad explaining why they are better people than the people who made this movie. And I just think that that's an issue because not every time are people trying to exploit people. It's not all green book. It's not all white saviorism that yeah. does exist but i think that as long as we're having conversations about this um i think that's what that's what makes things progress and that's what makes things move forward yeah and i think in the whale also since you brought that up is that um you know they had sort of like uh uh people from the fat community come in to try to um you know and again uh it's sort of subconscious bias right because he yeah. tried his best to be liberal to be progressive to show fat people but it's fat people find it very fat phobic because he films the fucking thing like a horror film. Yeah. You know, the no, way totally. that he has the way that they fetishize the body and all this stuff. And then the music and the angles and the lighting. And he portrays it like a horror film. And it's like you are inviting the audience to gasp and gawk. Mm -hmm. You well, know, at this the story person. leads off with him dying. The movie is about him dying. Yeah. Film. And like that's why I'm like, you know, but, when people have but, issues with that, it pisses me off. It's not a horror film. It's a humanistic drama about a man in his dying days, you know, could uh, reconnect it with his daughter or whatever. But it's offensive to some people in the way that it's portrayed as your it's body horror. It's very yeah. Cronenbergian. Yeah. And that, that, yeah. It, but it's like these movies, right? They want their fucking cake and eat it, too. You know what yeah. I mean? They want you like Silence of the Lambs. You know, they want you to gawk and to, you know, look. And then at the same time, look, we're very progressive, you know, and I like the whale personally, um, but oh, I can see great. why some people are like, offended. Yeah, totally. and again, yeah. 
again, Aronofsky is operating on subconscious level. You know, he's not out there trying to make, oh, I'm going to make a horror film about fat people. He had advisors, which is interesting because the movie is insanely fat phobic, <laughs> like, or anti-fat bias is the new PC way of putting it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? The way he eats in it is like a horror film. You know, fat people, I've known a lot of fat people. I am a fatty myself, you know, a fat person. And I don't know anybody that fucking just tears into a rolls around your box, kitchen with mayonnaise. A bucket of chicken. <laughs> Give me a fucking break. You know the way oh. he eats that chicken. I was like, oh girl. So powerful. Oh, give me a give me a fucking break. Give me Oscar. <laughs> he's gonna win. He's definitely gonna win. No, he's not. He's it's great. gonna be Austin Butler. It's gonna be Austin Butler. And oh, he go, it girl, too. from your lips to Satan's ears. No. <laughs> no, but I think he elevates the material in that film because his performance is so soft and so uh human and brittle. Mm-hmm. You know, and even with all that layers of makeup, you really just see this sort of like the depths of the the despair and the longing. And it's a beautiful performance because it's different from the play also where that fat guy is a fucking asshole, you know, mm-hmm. which I would have, so then it would have been like a comedy, you know, this fat fat guy with a fucking chicken, you know, being, <laughs> a, being a piece of shit. But, you know, again, it's like with Anthony Hopkins, right? You know, yeah. they're adding something to the performance and to the story that breaks free from, you know, the sort of like uh, genre that it is. Yeah. You know, or whatever. No, it for a, sure. You know, sorry to go on that tangent. No, no, totally to fine. I, but I opened that it's up. a it's a horror film. Yeah. No, totally. And but yeah, Jensen, thank you so much for uh being a part, like bringing this to the terror table and wanting to be a part of this conversation. Cause I feel like there's no way we could have had a better conversation than this. Um, also, I feel like there's a million podcasts out there uh, on Silence of the Lambs, and they don't sound like our conversation that we just had. So exactly. I'm happy about that. What, we're one of a kind. Yeah. Well, no, I'm I'm happy about that. I'm I'm happy that people can like not just go and be like, oh, uh, Anthony Hopkins is he's very creepy and he's cerebral yeah. and he's good. Well, bro, <laughs> so, I invite you to think about something for more than five minutes. It's not. It's not. And we appreciate. It's not it. our, this is great. But here's the thing about Silence of the Lambs, and in closing, yeah, you yeah. know, uh, is that I'll say that the reason why you have all of this stuff is because it's it's intelligent. You know, yeah. Ted Talley. Mm-hmm. Again, I think he's the main artist behind the film and he just added all of this kind of depth. And of course, Jonathan Demi too, and the the actors, they sort of just dug deep and it just added so many layers that could have broken out if, uh, you know, if our, you know, if, uh, you know, James Bond did it, you know, with, uh, you know, hot Michelle Pfeiffer, who's too hot, you know, she's way too sexy, you know, to be a FBI student. Who the fuck? She doesn't look like an uh, she doesn't look like an FBI cadet. Give me a break. Um, you know, but that's the thing. People brought things to it, and that's why we can have these conversations. And that's why you're talking about this after 31 years, mm-hmm. 32 years now at John January eighth. Oh, it's 32 uh, years, 32 age, years, baby. 32 years now that you could still talk about it because it's a great piece of art and literature and drama and acting. And again, it's just sort of this accidental alchemy of things that have all come together. But that's the thing is as a filmmaker, as an artist, you can dig deep, you know what I mean? Or try Mm -hmm. to, because you could try it and you, you know, who knows, you know, there's another universe where this movie sucks with everybody in it. You know what I mean? Right. You know, that's the thing, you know, Mitch about making movies, uh, boozy too, you know, you know that 
you could be passionate about something. You think you could do all this great work, all this great stuff. No one gives a fuck, you know? Mm -hmm. So for some reason, this movie has will continue to stand the test of time. And it's way better than a lot of the other, you know, a lot of the other, even horror movies that are classics. Do you know what I mean? It's one of the best films ever made. Yeah. No, hard agree. Yeah. Hot hot take. Yeah. (laughs) No, this was a great conversation. But yeah, before we close up here, Jensen, where where can people keep up with you and uh, what you got going on? Because I know you got an exciting feature that you're working on. But also your MySpace. Yeah. (laughs) Where where can people see the seance? Come on, Boozy. Boozy, I'm not that old. MySpace. (laughs) I am that old. I did have a MySpace. I had a live journal. Do you guys remember live journal? Never had, an, no, never had, had a live had journal, MySpace, but I had a Neo. You guys weren't cool enough because you had to be invited to get on MySpace. There we go. In, in 2004, <laughs> I was very cool. Um, yeah, you can find me on Instagram. I'm at Devil's Workshop. I only go on Instagram. I don't go on Twitter. You know, it's such a fucking, fucking toxic sewer of, of white I Twitter. Stuff. I've hated white. it forever. I've hated it all. That I hated inter- it way before Elon. That interface <laughs> is so awful. And everyone yeah. thinks they're so funny. Bitch, you're all, everybody's saying the same shit. Oh, it's that. You know it's every, I mean? every, everyone's, everyone's a critic. Everyone's smarter than everything that they're watching. It's, I like oh, I like Instagram because it's hard to, to, to. You see people's bullshit. You don't have to read it. Yeah. yeah and then you got thirst traps on there. You know, um, you got memes. It's fantastic. Yeah. So you can find me at Devil's Workshop on Instagram, Venmo at Jensen Rule Tierra. You can shoot <laughs> me some money. I'm trying to get money for this feature film. If you got some shekels, if you got dinars, if you got fucking euros, you can Venmo you me. Some rubles, dogecoins, yeah. whatever else. Yeah. All of it. Um, and then the seance, uh, I've been getting uh, film festival rejections like you do. Um, but, you know, hopefully it'll be coming to some fucking film festival near you so we're touring with the seance right now and pretty soon it'll be up online for everybody to like and you know praise me um and then we'll we'll share it on our pages once once it goes up as well we can't wait oh that's great thank you so much and then um yeah and then i'm working on a writing like crazy working on a short film right now uh political ghost story a, uh, hey, a you piece story. of shit. You told me to stop with short, but you're like features, baby. Features. I, 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 well, somebody's <laughs> giving me the money, so I can't say no. There we go. I know. I, I, know. I, I, I'm still working on a feature, a couple yeah. of features, but uh, you know, if you people want to give you money, don't hear Mitch, uh, yeah. Mitch, never leave money on the table. I'm sure your dad, your inappropriate <laughs> father should have told <laughs> you that. Um, and yeah, working on a bunch of features and, um, you know, it'll be online at some point so you can watch it or ignore it or whatever the fuck you know and fight venmo me please yeah absolutely and we'll have you back on the show eventually we'll we'll pick another episode because this was a lot of fun jensen thank you so much for joining i got i got a lot of lots of takes hell yeah and i want to thank you guys so much for having me on it's been really fun talking with you guys and mitch i really appreciate you you know meeting you has been really fantastic and you're a very talented talented individual Boozy, I haven't seen your stuff, so I don't know, but you seem you seem you seem nice. <laughs> You're a yeah. sweetheart. And I, sir, I'm so and, glad to get to know you. And circumcised, you know. Yeah, circumcised exactly. Holy. Circumcised kings. Circumcised right. short, short kings all the way. <laughs> yeah, there we go. All right. Well, thank you all so much for listening to another episode of the Terror Table. And we will see you next week when Boozy and I are breaking down our top 10 favorite horror films of 2022. Mm-hmm. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. <laughs>